0: The Ursus claws.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, uh, check us out on all the social medias. If you like what we're doing, you want to support us, check us out on Big Cartel. Get yourself a shirt, we still have some left. And like I think two hoodies or three hoodies. I'd have to I have to do an inventory, uh, but not very many like Which of
2: Which are the most comfortable hoodies in the world?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, they're they're very very comfortable. I'm wearing one they're right really now. Good. Yeah, and they're I'm, really I'm, I'm good. trying to wear wear through it. So I think I'm gonna have to I will have to make another batch. If uh, if your size is not in stock, uh, be assured that we'll do another batch sooner or later uh, because I'm gonna need to replace mine. Uh, so i have wearing it pretty much every single yeah. day since uh, what 2018 we made these. Um, well, I think it was certainly pre-pandemic, but yes, we'll we'll, we'll get the
2: um, slave children back onto yes. sewing them back up.
1: I was very proud that every <laughs> every single element of the the supply chain here was ethical. This made in Canada um, uh, in a small business, as far as I know, everything is ethically done. Anyways, <laughs> in this 131st uh, episode of uh, the the show, Darren, what do you have for us in the Strategium? Oh, it's a big Sun of Horus theme tonight, isn't it?
2: Pretty much everything is Sun of Horus or Wolf Legion, at least. So, Strategium, we are episode. going to be looking it's, at... It's very,
1: it's very... It's, it's for wolf-
2: it, it, Yes, yes, it is. Um, but yes, yeah, Strategium, we are going to be looking at the exemplary battle for the Trisolian system, because this also coincides with our Tales of Heresy as well. So, we're not going to... Do- we're actually going to swap things around tonight as well, aren't we? We normally do the strategy in first. We're actually going to do Tales of Heresy first tonight because, JP, do you want to explain what we're doing in Tales of Heresy? Because the two intersect.
1: In Tales of Heresy, we will be concluding our series on Wolfsbane by Guy Haley, uh, which we'll be talking about the Battle of Tris Trisolian? Trisolian, I would say it.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: Okay. So um, it seems to make more sense to talk about uh, the story of the battle before we talk about the uh, special units and scenario about the battle. So, yeah, this is the first time in 131 episodes that we've inverted that we haven't done Tales of Heresy last.
2: Yeah. But, you know, it's always nice to change things out. Like new year, new system.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to continue doing this because uh, no, people think skip, we are uh, skip Tales of Heresy because no. they haven't read the books yet. Um, so, uh, which is why we always put it in last, but today is going to be different. It's going to be, it's going to feel fresh and, and, and new and unique. And I get to be less ranty in this one about Wolf Spain as well, don't I? <laughs> Rather than beginning our, our, our conversation about that, how about we just jump right into Tales of Heresy, um, and, and, uh, oh, can... no, 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 what are
2: we no, 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 We need to talk about, no, we need to talk about a couple of new releases coming up. Still oh, keeping with still keeping with a the theme, because by the time this episode drops in your very hands, you may have the War Master himself, and not just the War Master, the ascended version, the daddy that will beat all daddies. We the model for Horus Ascended should be in people's hands by the time this episode drops. And let's face it, that is the best Primarch sculpt seen so far.
1: Is it going to be in your? That's hand? the hit. Are you going to camp um, out? going to go to warhammer this, world and camp out this i this did for where episode I one <laughs> yeah <laughs> is
2: good i i don't know i don't know is the honest answer um because i'm lucky enough to live reasonably close uk style to warhammer world i don't know if i'm going to pre-order it it's i've got a lot of stuff on my painting table at the moment as well so i know he won't be done soon we'll probably pick him up in the next month oh or come so. on um this is the big I, one you have to you have to pre-order yeah. come on I, I'm definitely going to pick him up. I haven't bought any Primarchs up till now because I don't tend to use them in my armies. Um, but he's he's gonna be there because it, it's a it's a thousand points of awesomeness, let's face it. And my and plus my gaming partner, my main gaming partner's got the lion. So I kind of have to oh, yeah, well, fight Prime have after to, Prime, Prime yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. There we go. And we've got the final Garrow book coming out as well, haven't we? On pre-order, which oh, yeah. should also possibly be in people's hands. Yeah, so Oh, let's it's hope. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because it's got Mortarion in it. And if you've read Warhawk, that raises questions. But we'll see what happens with that one. We'll see. It's nice that it's James Swallow. So it's still the same author as we've had for all the other Garrow novels. So there's going to be that consistency. Um, I'm intrigued by this one. I, I don't know where this one is going. Hopefully it will also be the last time we see Loken as well. Are really you a fan of, crossed. of the Garrow stories? I think, fan, probably not. Are they interested and give a very different view on the Imperium? Yes. I, I like the Malkador aspects. Malkador is probably my favourite Imperial character anyway. So I really like the behind-the-scenes, mass mach- side of things. Um, Garrow's a character I'm not that fan of. Um, long-term listeners will know. I don't think they should have ever brought Loken back, but that's a different story. Um but yeah I I I'm, I'm very interested to see how this one rounds that story arc off. What about yourself?
1: I I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good in them. Um there are a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of the Garo stories are really good, the audio dramas are a lot of fun. Um I don't tend to gravitate towards you know behind enemy lines kind of heroic one man army kind of stories. Like, those aren't my favorite, you know, war movies either. I, I don't like the heroic aspect uh, of, of of those kinds of stories, um, like the secret agent stuff. Um, still, um, I, I like them. I will still never understand to this day why, um, uh, uh, uh Garo went all the way to Kalth to rescue one guy, but there was but there was room in the ship for many more ultramarines just loaded up. Yes, he just likes to put his yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. But that—that's also as an Iron Warriors play, you should repro- You should understand that the numbers are the important part. Yeah, logistics. Yeah, You know, it's all math. Um, especially when, especially that one that, if you read through the entire series, the character they rescue has a bit of a dodgy end to his arc as well. But yeah. that's a, that's a point we'll get to when we reach that stage of the story. Well, I'm, so I'm. I think I, that's. It,
1: I, I find it's interesting that uh, and, and I'm really actually uh, happy about uh, uh, Black Library deciding to uh, sort of close out some of those special agent kind of stories, um, which, you know, uh, 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 some of the Selinar and, and and the Garrow one. Um, they're great characters. Um, they were not my favorite part of, of Ventral Spirit, but I'm glad we got some closure uh, for those characters. Um, and I feel the same way about Loken. I'm also glad that these were novellas. Because uh, again, they're not my favorite parts of the stories, but I'm sure they will yeah. be. Uh, I'm sure they'll be great because every siege book has been great. So why would it end yes. there? Why would and this end the be...
2: <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully we're going to be doing another special soon, aren't we?
1: Yeah, there should be a new special coming out uh, very soon. That definitely yeah, wasn't was recorded couple... months ago.
2: No, absolutely not. Bad, but we've got a couple more planned to do this year as well, haven't we?
1: Yeah. No, the goal is to get uh, to, to, to keep moving forward with them. I'd, I'd like to sort of catch up slowly but surely to the actual uh where this where we are in 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 the siege books so that we can uh we can um uh, um sort of review the last two um not too far away from the release Cause that was the whole point in the beginning but didn't want it really wind up happening yeah. yeah yeah we'll see what happens we will see what happens anything else I think that's it I think that's everything yeah well hopefully by the time this episode drops because you know We always, uh, um, there's always a little bit of of lead time for these. Hopefully by the time these drop, you have both of these uh, wonderful products in your hands. (laughs) Why am I shilling for Games Workshop right now? If you like it, buy it because it's cool. You don't? That's cool too.
2: That's it. I think that's a key thing to remember, isn't it? If you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. It's your money. It's your money.
1: But you will definitely be getting your horse and I will definitely be getting the Garrow book. I'll
2: definitely get the Garrow book as well. Yeah, I mean, it, are you going to get a not, special edition? I, I'm not uh, no, How bad do you think no. it's going to be?
1: Okay, you haven't been collecting it, eh?
2: No, I've not been collecting any for special editions. I get the maps. I get the maps instead. Yeah, the maps are cool. I, I managed to pick up the, the latest map this last weekend, just gone. So I'm, I'm happy with that. So I'm up to date with the maps. But now I get to sit back and watch for Carnage. Uh, similar to the Adepticon Carnage, I understand,
1: um, about all the um, limited edition no- novels. So... Yeah, let's see if this one's actually, uh, if there are any copies left when it goes on sale. So anyways, that's it for what passes as news in this podcast since we record so, so long before we actually release. Um, so never come for us for news, but uh, that's that's good for news, I think. Let's go straight yeah. into Tales of Heresy. They fought their way diagonally upwards, moving clear across the ventral spirit and away from the utilitarian areas of the inner ship into the grand spaces between the core and the starboard gun decks. Eventually, they emerged into a large ceremonial hull. Bjorn took a moment to get his bearings, a run of marble steps sculpted in a beautiful representation of a cataract cascaded from a high golden portal at the prow end. Tattered finally lined the walls, and small, high windows set into a ceiling painted with frescoes of the victory at Ulanor looked out into the void. Bjorn had expected Maleficarum's touch to be lighter here, out of the dark, where it could be seen. It was in the nature of evil to hide, but signs of Horace's new allegiance were everywhere in the hall. Statues appeared to move when not looked at, paintings daubed in fluids not ordinarily considered as paint adorned the walls, braziers with strange green and blue fires. The decoration of the place, where it was not subsumed into mats of living matter or drowned in the slime seeping from the wall, was cruel. It did not appear to have been altered by human hand, rather it had changed itself. There were places where Bjorn could see it halfway accomplished, where the sober, restrained flourishes one might find anywhere in the Imperium were growing sharp edges and spikes more fit for a torturer's chamber. Some of them had been employed to inflict pain, rotting bodies, hung in agonized positions, from rusting hooks. The fell voices were loud in the hall, whispering clearly. The distraction nearly cost Bjorn his life. Battle horns blared a deafening challenge, and the walls opened. A Sons of Horus legionary appeared out of nowhere to swing a crackling mace at his head. Bjorn ducked, and the weapon put a dent the size of Bjorn's torso into the wall. He emptied his gun into the chest of the traitor. The legionary's breastplate cracked open. Power cabling parted, fizzing with escaped energy, and he staggered back. Bjorn leapt onto the warrior and slammed his lightning claw up through his opponent's chin. The back of the traitor's helmet exploded outwards in a fountain of smoking gore. Bjorn shoved the corpse off his claws with his boot and turned around, seeking a new opponent, and found himself in the middle of a sudden battle. Warriors were emerging from panels sliding up beneath the corrupt artwork, running into the Valka from Rika all along their march. Both fire rang out briefly before deadly blade work began. Warriors grappled everywhere. There were no battle lines, no discipline. Only one duel repeated a thousand times, the dark against the light. The sense of unholy pressure grew. The air thickened, even through his breathing booth. Bjorn felt he was choking on a sewer's filth with every breath. Voices laughed and gabbled, issuing loudly from no human throat, but seemingly coming from the air. The Sons of Horus fought undaunted by the chorus, but the Vilka of Enrika reeled at its jabbering. A temperature gauge blinked to get Bjorn's attention, warning him of a growing chill. Hot air venting from power packs became rolling clouds of steam. Frost gathered on the hooks and spoiled finery, and yet, when he glanced at his wrist, he found the lead charms drooping with heat. Before his eyes, the charms melted into silver streaks that would not set, but flowed from his body to the floor, where they ran against the pull of artificial gravity, as if seeking out a route of escape. Without the counter magics to mute the voices, they grew louder and louder, tempting Bjorn to cast down his weapons, threatening him if he did not. He did not know the language, but the meaning was horribly clear. Two warriors moved to engage him. Their faces blurred in Bjorn's eyes, and the voices laughed. They attacked while he was half-blind. Bjorn parried their blows clumsily. Something was coming. Bjorn looked up the stairs. A light, like approaching torches flickering on a cave wall, was coming down the corridor. Foreboding preceded it. It was almost as if Bjorn could feel the shape of his weird bend out of true under the pressure. The whispers became a laudatory roar, singing out the praises of their champion. The golden door swung open. With a rush of black terror, Horace Lupercal stepped out onto the head of the staircase and joined his sons. A bodyguard of hulking terminators fanned out either side of him. Other warriors, whose twisted faces and unnatural limbs Bjorn first took for the extravagance of a mad armor, came after. Horst commanded all attention. In his left hand, he carried a maul taller than a space marine. The right bore a massive gauntlet whose fingers were tipped with cruelly barbed, powered blades, and on the wrist were mounted twin bolt guns. His armor was covered in spikes. His Imperial badges had been replaced by slip-pupiled eyes that seemed too moist and alive to be of anything but flesh. As befitted his arrogance, he came into battle helmetless. His once noble face was contorted with an exultant superiority that bordered on the demonic. Harsh red light shone out from the cowl of the Terminator played around his head, a diabolical halo with no readily discernible source. With shadowed eyes, he surveyed the carnage of the Hall and uttered a single word. "Cease." All right, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's tale of heresy is the third part of our continuing discussion of, and the final part of our continuing discussion of 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 Spain by uh, Guy Haley. Uh, joining us today to close out this fascinating uh, novel is our returning champion uh, David Carlin, who is not here to terrify us uh, this time with uh, with with science.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: So we'll see if you can make it through the whole thing without scaring the hell out of us. But for those uh, for those that uh, didn't uh, listen to our episode about uh, the Life Eater virus, the chemistry of the Life Eater virus, please go back and listen to that episode no, and uh, never no, sleep don't. again. No, no, you, you still wake up screaming in the middle of the night at some point. Yeah,
3: depending on when you listen to it, wait until after the holidays.
2: Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just... not a relaxing one after the Christmas meal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's just the, the, the life eater virus is terrifying enough until you found a reason why you would use it. And that's what's really scary. But anyways, go check out that episode. It's one of the better ones that we've done. But today we're not here to talk about the life eater virus. Are we? No, no, it's not in here. Uh, we're talking about Wolfsbane. Um, so, uh, 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 Darren, do you have an, uh, does anybody have an efficient synopsis for us? Darren, you've been doing really great. You know what, David, oh. since you're the guest. I, I know Darren always has a good one. But uh, as, as you're the guest, uh, David, do you, do you have one? I'll give you first first go.
3: Um, I don't I I kind of feel like, not, I, I'm going to, Darren? Go yeah, I've it. got two.
1: Yeah, here we go. I've got, <laughs> got two. two.
2: two. One, one, one serious, one flippant. So here we go. Which one do you want first?
3: Ooh, uh, serious first, and then we can all okay. pretend we're serious academics, and then right. have a good laugh.
2: Yes, yes, of course. Serious, serious academics. So the serious one is, you can't escape fate. I like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. The flippant one is, my dad's better than your dad. <laughs>
3: so that's also yep. accurate. Yep. Yeah, um, definitely. In, in some ways, that You Can't Escape Fate is really at the core of this last third of the book. Um, and it's one of the things I really like about how the way Guy Haley writes it, but also one of the things that kind of I have very strong opinions on. Certain things had to happen for the heresy to happen, right? pre sequelitis. Um, Haley does his best. Some of it works. Some of it eh. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that later.
2: Yeah, so I think also for for a point of listeners, uh, we're back onto a positive side of the book for me. I had my rant in the last episode. Congratulations if you got through it, um, but I'm on to a positive side of the novel again. So this will be in the final third. I'm a happy Darren in this part.
3: I this is actually one of my other than the middle section. This is one of my favorite books in the Heresy, um, because it's it's part of my favorite mini trilogy um which is vengeful spirit wolfsbane slaves to darkness where we really get to see well actually we don't get to see but we get to we get snapshots of how we go from Horus the ideologue fighting against the monstrosity that is the emperor to well the end of slaves to darkness
1: i think that's such an intriguing point i hadn't even thought about looking at cuz this is clearly follows up from this is a sequel to eventual, uh, eventual spirit but i never thought of mm-hmm. uh, of putting it with Saves of Darkness, but you're entirely right. It is the same story.
2: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a continuation on, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one for few non-trilogy sections we have, not what non unofficial. I do like how David put the trilogy together. But it's like we also mentioned back in the first part of this trilogy, or this this Wallsbane sequence, of we don't have many Sons of Horus novels. True. So this gives us a really good insight into late heresy Sons of Horus.
3: Yes, and um, when we get to talking about what Bjorn and Broar are up to um, in kind of the, the threads of the last third of the book, um, that's going to really come home.
2: Yeah. But we don't want to go on to the Suns of Horus yet. We're, we're going to save that joy for the, this, the final two-thirds of this discussion because we need to return to the, the greatest hero amongst men, the, the Leonardo of the 31st millennium.
1: The men-chiseled Greek <laughs> god. Women want him. Men want to be him.
3: Skatari wish they were under his control.
1: The best control. <laughs> and of course, we
2: are talking about Belisarius. Cool. Now, <laughs> we've been really kind of flippant about this character. We? JP, you came into this with eyes wide open and innocent. Just, just. Yeah, I hadn't
1: read the book yet. I, I was a bit behind. I was like, ah, oh, calls in this. this is kind of weird um but but then yeah we were talking about it and you you pointed out it's like yeah it's the mary sue character that just can do everything well it's like oh my god shattered yeah. the glass like oh yeah i see it now i i see it so do you want to do a quick recap jp where we left our amazing magos well okay so what winds up happening is uh uh, uh um uh what is it tris a trisolaris uh
3: trisolium? Trisolian.
1: trisolium yeah is it a binary star
3: oh uh, i think it you might mean, act, it's it's at least two but it might be three no it's a
2: triple it's, it's a triple, it's a triple, triple. they mentioned yeah they mentioned yeah because it's they, quite they specifically call them. it a
1: binary star at one point and i was like but it's trisol. it is a triple star okay yeah at one point i think they make a mistake and call it a binary star mm-hmm. uh but anyways uh so yeah that, that that which is where uh a call is um Going through becoming an expert in everything, right? He 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 re- reinvents himself every once in a while and becomes an expert in in a different field. And he's like know, there's a polymath, um, and and uh, so he's at uh, in, in this sector, uh, and and it becomes under attack by the War Master and uh, the the War Master's emissary promises the Mechanicum there because this is a Forge World, um, promises the Mechanicum um, um, access to. Uh, forbidden knowledge which of course is very tantalizing for the Mechanicum and so the Forge World surrenders the Magos surrenders and now Call is technically a part of a rebel Forge World
2: but he's also been kind of blackmailed into this hasn't he because yeah, yeah he's been doing um non-standard modifications on himself and he got caught out and the Archmagos the, the Tagmata Martyr Archmagos basically forced him into her service or she was going to kill him and of course call is going to accept that hasn't he so so when the four World surrenders to the war master he's dragged into that isn't he he's dragged into that surrender
3: him and everyone else and yes. his buddy friedrich or friedrich fried friedrich i think it's friedrich yeah. yeah it's one of those here's a modern name yeah. and we'll just slightly change two letters in the future yeah <laughs> um, in the
1: future the ch drops off in 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 in, in high gothic <laughs>
3: But yeah, so they're both stuck on the mechanic um, outpost, uh, and Call happens to be there when the wolves arrive.
1: Yeah, so uh, the wolves arrive, and 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 Call he realizes what's happening before anybody else, as usual, because he has mm-hmm. super brain powers along with his uh, chis- chiseled body, um, and. Uh, so he really he goes to see breedersh it's like we got to get out of here it's like how do we get out of here it's like well i have a plan because you know of course he does um so he knows because you know he's been like i don't know he hacked into to, to like uh all, all you know the the Magos's information and he knows that she has like a like an escape vessel like a small craft that is warp capable they can get them out of there so he says okay we got to get out of here uh, warp capable and stealth tech and stealth tech yeah um you know we, we can't ignore that and um, i got the impression it's very
2: similar to the knight's Errant flyer that they used to board with yeah. Avengers, in. It, mm-hmm. it, it, i get the impression they're using similar levels of tech uh he has to pick up his um servitor as well though yeah
1: mm-hmm. tesla
2: yeah can't <laughs> can't forget tesla got to bring him back along with him so but uh, he I, go on Dave.
3: Uh, i i will say um as as much of a uh mary Stu, that that call is um, one of the things that i do like about how this is kind of presented is it reminds me of an, an actual real life person uh richard fenman who worked on the manhattan project and was infamous for just for fun breaking into people's offices and rifling through their files um so the idea that call just knows all this stuff about his boss reminded me of that there are have been these kind of eccentric personalities who know everything about their boss because they get bored and start deciding to break things.
2: Yeah, it does make... And it, we've also seen this within the Mechanicum Avenue that they're always constantly spying on each other. There's a lot of industrial espionage goes on inside the Mechanicum circles. Mm-hmm. So it does kind of make sense. But he can't just leave, can he? Being, being the man he is, Cole just can't get onto this um, space freighter. And He's a man of principle. Bugger. He's a man yes. of principle. Yes. So... As a result, he tells Friedrich and Tesla to bug out, get onto the ship while he deals with Yark Ark Magos. And how is he going to deal with something that's hugely modified and designed for, for combat and has got all these modifications on?
1: He's developed his own piece of technology, hasn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's crafted his own technology from scratch.
3: Right. and He's Tony
1: Stark in the cave.
3: <laughs> yes, and... It's not just any piece of technology, but it's the sort of, like, complete and utter anathema to the Mechanicum, because what does it do?
2: It, it overrides everything.
3: Yep. It completely and utterly fries systems nearby. It's not it's, the sort of, like, data gin that they usually talk about. It is an absolute machine killer.
2: Yeah, it's basically scrap code for loyalists. Mm-hmm. Is effectively oh, what good it good, is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it's very similar. Whereas scrap code is designed to infect and turn the systems over to the Dark Mechanicum, Call's technology is just designed to break down the barriers and just wreck the technology nearby, isn't it? But now, I I know we do shit on Call quite a lot, but I do think the sequence of him trying to get to the Arx Magus chamber and during Void Combat was a very, very good description. I do think some of the descriptions mm-hmm. we have of Void War... In this book, is actually some of the best descriptions of Void War we have. Um, yes. Obviously, quite a lot of novels. Um, so, you know, No No Fear's got some good examples. In uh, Vengeful Spirit, has got some good examples. The Battle of Pluto in Praetorian of Dawn. They've all got good descriptions. Of solar, wars, war. But solar War, as well. Solar, war's probably solar of War is Solar War from Solar War is like that's
1: the, that's that's the pinnacle. Um, only because of the
2: Daughter of Woe, but. <laughs> Wolfsbane, I think, has got the best description of on-board combat that we've seen.
1: And And also, just I really like Call just, like, watching the battle and, and like, being mesmerized by it.
3: Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other nice things about Call is that in some ways, he... There's the Mechanicum City in the book Mechanicum, where they're innovating, they're developing the new sphere, um, they're doing all that stuff. Um, but Call is really the only other character that we've seen throughout the entire series that kind of represents the Mechanicum before it got ultra dogmatic, similar to how every once in a while we're given the point of view characters or we're given the characters from like the really, really early days of Unity, and we can see kind of what the Imperium was like before it started buying into its own message. So he's this nice contrast to even the Loyalist Mechanicum are still these ultra dogmatic uh religious zealots and call you can kind of see what what was the original philosophy that might have eventually led to the mechanicum as we know it in the 31st millennia
2: yeah i mean i think that's a really good way to describe it um because like we said off air before we started recording Call is actually the only other viewpoint character we have outside the wolves Mm -hmm. we don't have any other viewpoint characters we don't have any internal sons of horus viewpoint characters um that's not unusual in this series we should point that out outside the original trilogy Yep. um so it is useful to have an outsider looking into this and some of the descriptions he mentions about the wolves the sixth legion in void warfare now he never actually sees them does he but he sees the outcome of where they've been and he hears fighting in the distance as well mm-hmm. and they're quite horrific the descriptions of what he sees and what we're hearing isn't it
3: yes and i love how like, the only thing that Friedrich, uh, his friend, says, like, when it's like, oh, yeah, those are the Space Wolves. And he's like, the Emperor's executioners? Like, and that's all he knows about them.
1: Yeah. And that's all yeah. he needs to know about them, really. Yeah, exactly. It? They're so... like, well, what what are they here to do? It's like, what the fuck do you think they're here to do? <laughs> <laughs> the War Master's here. Figure it out. <laughs> So let's kind of jump on, because there's a there's a lot of
2: description from trying to get to the, the shuttle and stuff, isn't there? And then Cole mm-hmm. eventually gets to the Arx Magus. There, there's a bit of banter backwards and forwards, isn't there? there? There's the classic, you betrayed me, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just drops this tech bomb, doesn't
3: he? Yep, and that is that. Um, that does the job.
2: But he does have a personal reason to go into the Arc Magus, doesn't he? Yeah. Because you know, on the surface, yeah. it's to oh, I want to we want to weaken the defenses. But his actually probably his primary purpose for going, if we can judge, call by any of his previous actions, is he wants to get one of the little um, trinkets which is attached to the Magus, which is a repository of all of her knowledge.
1: Yes,
3: and
2: it's a very, homo-
1: it's a homunculus.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's a, a clone brain. Um, so it's basically it's her brain, but without any of the, the like major personality. She basically cloned herself, made a servitor out of her own head, and so it's all her knowledge, everything she knows.
2: It's her cloud. Gl- it's her cloud drive, isn't it? Let's
1: face it.
3: Yes. It's her phylactery. How's that? Yeah. That's an even Ooh. better word for it, actually. Yeah. Because um, this is this is kind of the start of Call's road to darkness, as it were. Um, but yeah. Uh, a phylactery is a great word for it um the other thing he does is he frees the uh tech guard he frees the skatari and, and the rest of the tagmata well the, yes, he resets
1: is... them he, he he resets them to their original programming um as far as uh um or, or as far as the the decoder the code is concerned right
3: well and so this is where it's it's a little unclear from that scene um from the scene with call itself um whether he's resetting them or whether he's just basically turning off the control entirely.
2: It does mention early in the book, doesn't it? That she keeps a very unusual tight control over the Skitari and the Thalax, which are normally given a lot more um, freedom of action. They they give them very kind of open parameters and then they just carry that out as we see later on, later on in the siege books, for example. Mm -hmm this Archmagus keeps a very, very tight personal control over every action they make, don't, doesn't she?
3: Yes, it's it's almost like uh, she's playing like total war with them, like they're her units, and she's overseeing everything, you know, micromanaging down to every individual.
2: So he finishes off the Archmagus, he steals her flag tree, and then he bugs off to the shuttle. Yep. And this is a fully staffed shuttle, isn't it, as well? we, we It kind of hints in there that there's servitor pilots, which we'd expect, but then there's, she's also got a navigator on board as well.
3: hmm Yeah. She was not messing around when it came to her escape plan.
2: No. No, she has every, every angle covered completely.
3: hmm So it is kind of nice to see that, you know, as much as we shit on call for considering everything... It's actually just kind of a high-level mechanicist trait. They're all kind of paranoid. Oh, this
1: part uh, I, I I didn't feel was un was was unbelievable. Like uh, I, absolutely, this is exactly what I would expect a high-ranking mago instead of Forge World uh, to have, especially one as paranoid as she was. She's obviously got uh, um, an escape plan.
2: Well, it's like every Bond villain. He has to have no. his escape plan somewhere, doesn't he? It's <laughs> it's the it's the equivalent. It's got to be turned in a later novel.
3: Yep. <laughs> so yeah uh, that's and that's pretty much like that's pretty much call in the last third of the book um whoa
2: really it's the last we hear of call in this series as well
3: isn't it not i'm trying to remember if he next shows up in Barry dagger in the solar war
2: we haven't seen him in, the, in solar war in um, siege of terror
3: okay he Sorry. he does show up again because um because this and this is why i say calling it a phylactery is the perfect word for it it must be buried dagger then yeah it's
2: got to be buried dagger isn't
3: it he yeah he basically more stuff happens with him that explains more stuff of what he gets up to in the 34th millennia yeah he's he's not we're not done with him yet i guess that's fair d
1: okay let's just as we close out our discussion of call because we don't need to talk about him again for a bit um was let's ask a question was this was this useful because we started off by like, was it useful to stick him in? Because at the beginning, it was just like, okay, they're throwing in, he was just introducing 40K, so let's throw him into a 30K novel and see what he was doing. Uh, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's prequelitis, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I wonder what Boba Fett was like when he was a kid. It's like, I don't, I never cared about that. Um, but uh, uh, um, uh, like, what, what was this use? Did, did this add anything to the horse Heresy, having Cole it, in there? No, it could have been any
2: Magos, minor Magus character.
3: Yeah, I, in, in I, I, agree. Mind. The,
2: I I think the only reason here, and I think I I talked about this in the first episode as well, I think the only reason he's in here is to start giving him more of a backstory because of a fallout from 40K when he first appeared as a deus ex machina, and he knows everything. And I think Mm -hmm. there was an attempt by Black Library to put in some sort of backstory into the most popular series at the time, and, you know, still the most popular series Black Library produced... To try to give him more depth for his forty k persona.
3: That that's a good way to describe it. It's it's also one of those weird things where they put him in here because they needed that, and then he actually does serve a purpose in explaining a little bit of a a weird loophole, or maybe loophole is not the right word. There's this one little bit again when he shows up again later on his presence helps to explain why the loyalists didn't do a certain thing that might have helped them but in this book and this is actually where I'm probably going to make the the, the claim that'll piss off all the space wolf listeners don't no, worry we don't oh, have any yeah. we've, we've been doing <laughs>
2: plenty say, of that in the last yeah. two episodes don't so worry um, now
3: it, this and i think in in some ways the the name of the book kind of makes it obvious it's wolf's bane this is not a book where the space wolves are the focus they're the ones who are going to get killed um in many ways this book really is all about the sons of horus and everything else was basically who is available who's who's not busy in the heresy at this moment that we can fit into this book to let the sons of horus do what we need to do with the sons of horus and call fits that really well we need a magos we don't necessarily want to pull him out of thin air this late into the heresy so here's a name that got introduced and we need someone that can do these things and he's smart enough to do those things so he fits the tick boxes and there you go
1: so you might as well use a recognizable name because mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting uh, uh, i i do think it was probably probably like a desire to 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 sort of insert him into the universe um, yeah, retroactively. And, but uh, I, I, I see what you mean that, you, why not here?
3: Yeah. You know and,
1: what I mean? Like he could have, you know, he could have stuck him in any of the books really. It, it, it's like most of the latter Hellraiser yeah. movies, which um, are just um, uh, 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 movies that had nothing to do with Pinhead. And they just kind of stick Pinhead in to, to keep their copyright. Right. It's just, yeah. you know, you might as well use a recognizable name.
3: Yep. And I think in this case, it's, it was probably called because Guy Haley, and I, I don't know the, the timing on it, he, he will wrote, will write, did write the 40K call novel. Um, so if anyone's going to be like, oh, I have to write this book and I need a Magos, oh, I'm already going to be using this guy.
2: Yeah, from what I've heard, it's, um, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's set back on Sotha.
3: Yeah, on um, um, The Great Work
2: the great work absolutely that does a much better job at rounding out his character and explaining his role in the creation of primaris than this does but it is a guy Halley novel and i think from what i've heard i haven't personally read it but some close friends of mine have um wolfsbane sets a foundation for that
3: yeah um i i have read the great work it it is good um and it Wolfsbane and when Call shows up next between the two of them it's actually I'd say Call's next appearance is really what sets up everything with the Primaris Um, I don't know should I I spoil it I don't know
1: with the Primaris yeah spoil away Okay,
3: (laughs) so Call and uh, Friedish end up on Terra and um, somehow I forget his name but the, the the one remaining scientist from the Astartes Project who was responsible for developing the Black Carapace finds out that Call is on Terra, brings him in because he was working with um, Aspersia, and this the Emperor's scientist wanted Aspersia's work because he's doing something similar where he thinks he can achieve immortality by basically putting his brain... In someone new, the way Aspercia was putting her knowledge in these little clone brains, in this, this phylactery, and Call, because he's Call, has like the perfect genetic match, and what ends up happening is the, um, the the guy who worked on the Astartes project puts his brain into Call, and then Call pulls an Uno reverse. And is like, "Ha ha! That was my plan. I'm I'm a bigger brain than you." So even though you downloaded into me, I'm not, I'm still in control. But now there's three of us in here: me, Aspercia, and you. So by the time the great work comes around, it's not just three; it's like 15 or 16. Um, that basically call becomes this epic, like more so polyglot by basically stealing brains from people and. He knows all about the Astartes because one of those brains is from the original Astartes. That project. is so much fucking better than what we get in this book. Yes. Yes. That's that's actually really cool.
2: Yes. And it's a lot darker, isn't it? It's a lot more oh, yeah. dark. It, it fits much more into the universe. Yeah. It highlights the fact that the Mechanicum are dodgier in many ways than the Imperium is. So, yeah, that, that's oh, yeah. a much better way for going um, about it. I'm the, pretty sure that is Buried Dagger.
3: Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm turned
2: around on Call
3: now.
1: I well, think that's really cool. And
3: in The Great Work, one of the things he talks, uh, Call mentions to someone, is that basically he has to pick three brains to kind of be at the top level. And depending on which three brains he chooses, his personality changes. So he specifically will change up who's kind of riding the top level of his brain to get better results from the people he's working with.
1: Oh, that's great. Yep. Like no, definitely that that's that's so much better than what we get here. Um yeah. But uh, but thankfully you're going to be back on when we do uh, um, um, Hidden Dagger, so we'll we'll talk about that in a, a little bit more detail. But mm-hmm. that is so much cooler.
3: I'm pretty. It's it's if it's not Solar War, because it happens. It's not in Solar War, and I'm I'm 80% sure. But I haven't read Hidden Dagger proper. yet.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. So it might be in there.
3: It's if it's not in Solar War, I really don't think it's in Lost in the Damned. It's not Lost so and happened? Damned? No. It's no not, so, yeah, it's I, I, I don't be, remember it's
1: it from gotta, being any in the Siege book. It's,
3: it's got to be buried Dagger then.
1: It's got to be buried Because I think
2: they put that in as the juxtaposition to what Mortarine is doing with his Legion. Oh.
0: Yeah.
2: All right. Well, we'll, we'll get think, to that. We'll get yeah. to that. But that that's, that's in the future. That's in the future. Yeah. Maybe 23. Who knows?
1: Mm-hmm. We've only got like three left after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. Um let's go to the to the that was the B storyline. Again, enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Felt it didn't add that much to the book, but it was fun. And and we 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 laugh, but we love. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's hopefully it's in good, it's in (laughs) good fun. But let's move on to the A storyline. Let's move on to what we wanted to the main event. Um literally literally the main event. Oh my god.
3: Can, Can I just say that when when Horace is just listing off Russ's titles. Um, all I could think of was out of all the Primarchs, if you were to just pick them up and directly drop them in pro wrestling, Russ is the best fit. Like, it's like Lehman, King of the Russ, the Emperor's, Executioner, you know, just all of that stuff. And he's just, you know, coming down, you know, bare chested, wearing the 1980s style like gray briefs and a lion belt, or eh. Both pelts. They'd have tassos
1: on as well, wouldn't he? Let's be oh, honest. Oh
3: yeah. Oh
1: He'd yeah. Tass- You're right, but yeah. I-, I I would counter with Angron. But give give him an ultimate warrior kind of gimmick, right? Mm. Yes. Just running towards the-, the ring and like shaking it. <laughs> like get him to do those crazy promos the warriors to do. Yes. Like when he took control of Hogan's plane.
3: <laughs> oh man. And what's what's even better is like like have everyone in the fandom know that he's got like a bum heart or something. So that when he does go down, be like, "He's down! They're taking advantage of the champ!" But wait, here's Lorgar with a folding chair. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Is that Mortarian's music?
1: <laughs> Bring oh. in Korax! It's Korax! My god!
2: No, that, it can't be Korax, because oh that would be, like Korax actually does something.
3: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> He's so broody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, it was, it's cool so good Correct should be so easy you just give him Sting's music
3: you'd <laughs> be, be the same character you're not wrong
1: moving on moving yep. on you could do a whole this, pro- this, <laughs> this is an, this is going
2: to be a later segment isn't it I sense this is going to appear in a later segment at some point but there we go let's focus on the story of Wolfsbane yes so where we left the wolves was after their um complete complete level of hypocrisy by infinite Warp to find out what was going on um they've set sail for the trisodian system and one of the things i really like in this in- initial segment is the time scales involved in void warfare and this is something that i think 40k universe does really well that you have to plan hours in advance for your combat mm-hmm. and russ is fully aware that when they appear in a Drisodian system that they're going to get detected Reasonably soon, and the wall master is there with not just for some Horus. it's not just for 63rd Expeditionary Fleet, he's there with Night Lords, he's there with Word Bearers. Um, there's a whole host of other legions there as well, isn't there? So, so he's got like you 50 know, this ships. is yeah, nice. I, I, I think it's more than that they've mentioned at some point, but this is the start of Yamada head, heading for Beta Garden,
3: yeah, and, and, and that's. Those, the- oh sorry um that's the crazy thing is they say like oh wow we've never seen such a big fleet and this is only a portion of his fleet
2: yeah yeah i mean this is really highlighting what we're going to see in solar war isn't it when we start getting all those masses of ships arriving at that point and Mm -hmm. russ knows that if he just appears in system he could get potentially get blown out of the void before really has an impact so he comes up with typically a crazy sixth legion plan so jp can you remember what the plan is
1: yeah go through go as close to the stars as possible
2: yes yes and go hope for through, the best yes mm-hmm. go through the highly radioactive stars coronas and that'll hide our that'll mask our signatures from the enemy
1: yeah for like five or six hours but like enough time that you know the sons of Horus won't be like firing torpedoes at you for five or six hours mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I mean, in principle, it's a good plan, isn't it? In principle, it's a good plan. And it does
2: work for an outnumbered force who is relying on surprise. But at a point when the legion is so already badly damaged, and we know from part one that these special, that these vessels are barely space-worthy already, that's just increasing your risk even further.
3: Yeah. Um, and there's this, there's this interesting almost symbolic connection between what they're doing here and Russ's opinions and feelings about using spears, right? That out of all the weapons, right? A spear, if you cast it, you're probably not getting it back, right? That most of the time people who throw spears don't get them back. They're made to be used, which is one of the reasons why having all this artifice in the emperor's spear is kind of like weird to him that it's a keeper weapon, especially because every time he tries to throw it away, it comes back to him. Um, but we see here this, this idea of this is the final spear cast for the Sixth Legion, that one way or another, they're out of the war.
2: Yeah, and I think the way Russ is also thinking of this as well is he is going to sacrifice his Legion to achieve this aim. He's prepared to kill every single member of the Volk of Fenrica if he's able to at least seriously harm... Horus if not kill him outright because Russ is still in doubts about whether he can do this Mm -hmm. but he knows he can cause a serious enough wound to Horus and the Legion that could remove him from a fight yeah and the plan works you know if we we roll forward that five six hours it does work by the time they come out the opposite side for Corona on the side for Fleet where the traitors are it does give them barely any time to act, doesn't it? Now, Mm -hmm. one of the things I loved in this section was the description of the Vengeful Spirit because the last time we saw the Spirit was in the novel Vengeful Spirit and she was still described as relatively normal, a relatively normal Gloriana.
3: Yes. And Uh...
2: now the descriptions of her are swollen with war power, bristling with even more weapons than they had, damaged but unlike the um, hermenefical is it the, the, the wolf's flagship? Yep. She's damaged and bruised, but she's still in good fighting condition.
3: Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of consider this part of that, that trilogy um, is that we get to see the vengeful spirit in Vengeful Spirit. And there's a little bit of corruption, but not not a ton. It's not super noticeable compared to- It's more to,
2: cosmetic. It's yeah. more cosmetic. Yeah.
3: Um, but now we're seeing, okay, this is this is now the second part of it, and we're seeing that serious corruption. Yeah,
1: it's still not as bad as Enslaved to Darkness, where yep. it, it like, its interior no longer makes sense.
3: We're, well, <laughs> wait until well, we talk some about of it. More. Yeah, <laughs> some of it doesn't
1: make sense here. But I, I, I think yeah, I think you're right that there's like there's a progression of of getting, you know, just, of, of yeah. getting less tied to reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
2: think the suggestion is the closer you are to Horus's throne room and the command center, yeah. the more corrupt it is. But it's it's the corruption is spreading from Horus himself. Yeah, Whereas I, that's the, a good way to put the, it because
1: the... in Visual Spirit, it was really his throne room when they when they get into the throne, uh, th- uh, like you know, in uh, sorry the, the Legion Hall and all that. That's when they start realizing, oh man, this place is weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: but when while you're still in the engineer room or the weapon bays or, or the lower decks, it's still relatively normal.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and yeah, and because now by this point, the lower decks are not normal.
2: No, no, there, there's weird stuff down there now and stuff mm-hmm. which is trying to suck your brains out through your nose. And
3: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting when we get to talking about Bjorn and, and Broar and what they're up to. Because um, they, like... We, okay, before we get, though, this, speaking of naval combat, this scene where the Space Wolves actually launch their assault wave to actually gain a foothold on the vengeful spirit, hands down, I think, one of the best written scenes in the entire series.
2: Yes, I would agree with that. And the casualties they are taking is horrific.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But it's yeah, also because normally you last... wouldn't
1: do this. Yeah. But you're trying to overwhelm the defenses with by sending boarding torpedoes full of space wolves. And you know most of them aren't making it. And that's yeah. the cost. That's what's gonna, that's the price it's gonna cost to get on well, onto the Ventral Spirit.
2: It's a description of everything they're sending because they talk about stormbirds and storm eagles going in there, torpedoes, um, mm-hmm. sestas, salt round. They're, they're basically launching everything knowing that none of it's coming back anyway. They're gonna, they're assuming none of it is coming back, so we'll just use it all.
3: Yeah, I'm just imagining, like, a thousand years from now, someone's like, like, Papa Bjorn, why doesn't our chapter have dread claws anymore? And Bjorn the Fell handed the dreadnought, just like, we left him on the vengeful spirit. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's this. La- it's the last level of computer game syndrome, isn't it? So I've stored mm-hmm. all this stuff up, all game, I'm using it all.
3: Yeah, and unlike most video games, it's barely enough.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those people who played Res- the, the original versions of Resident Evil, it's that syndrome of I'm down to the last five rounds. Oh, yep. God. Oh, God, I am on five rounds. But yes, yeah. it's barely getting through. Um, I've, I've recently been re watching the remake of Battle uh, Star Galactica. Mm-hmm. And one of the scenes that to me is when they put up a flak screen on yep. Battle Stars. Oh, yeah. It, this scene reminds me of that when they're just trying to get through this complete wall of fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's luck. There's no skill involved. It is just luck whether you're going to actually breach.
1: Yeah, there's something painfully poignant about that. About uh, about the Marines that you know, the, the, some of these guys had like have been fighting for two hundred years. You know, they've come into a martial culture. They've met the Emperor. Uh, they they fought through a million battlefields and slain a thousand xenos warlords, and here you die in a boarding torpedo. <laughs> But I think no, that also sums it that. up as
2: well. I think that's also one of the key things that, that it's an for the wolves as they stand at the moment. That is an honourable way because they are taking themselves directly into the, into the depth yeah, of the true. enemy, and mm-hmm. their entire purpose is to allow Rust aboard. Yeah. that's all they're there for. They are the wedge that will allow Rust aboard the Vengeful Spirit and kill Horse. So in their mind, this is an honourable end.
1: And yeah, they'll mm-hmm. all be at Valhalla soon. Yeah. You'll all and, meet again together to drink uh, Mjold in, in, in Valhalla.
3: Yep. And I think what really nails it home for the Space Wolves, which is kind of unique to their psychology, I think the only other Legion who might match them in this is the word bearers, is that because of Russ's journey through the Underverse, not the Warp, of course, um, he knows or he's, he feels that he's fated to confront Horus. And so the Legion knows that basically if they do their job, Russ, will, Russ won't get hit by, like, an errant torpedo or an errant, you know, flak round. He'll make it so long as they do their job.
2: Yes, that, that's, ex- that's exactly is not it, isn't it? They're following their scheme of fate, and they know that their thread will allow Russ to reach where he needs to go. Mm-hmm. So, some of them do get on board, and we've seen this before with Astarte's... Void combat, haven't we? We've seen this with various different boarding actions with Unremembered, but not Unremembered. Uh, no, no fear and uh, Ventral Spirit. That when they breach, every boarding torpedo has a separate objective when they get on board, mm-hmm. and they've got pre-assigned places that they need to go, and they're focusing on very, very small unit warfare to get through, and it's done by speed and shock and aggression, which the space walls particularly are perfect for. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. And what what is Russ's plan here? so russ russ has a plan that loosely could be categorized as i am going to just go as deep in as possible because that's probably where horus is and horus is going to lay a trap for me but that's okay because i want to find horus so i'm going to walk into whatever trap he finds but meanwhile to make it seem like i don't know that he's trying to trap me i'm going to send my sons and also to try to draw off extra sons of horus i'm going to send all of my sons to like, they're going to go blow up magazines. They're going to attack the engines. Um, one that gets special mention because it shows up in the um, exemplary battle that uh, Warhammer Community did. Uh, he sends Gregor the Fell handed to basically go piss on all of their awards and all of their um, prizes from the Great Crusade.
2: And I think there's two tiers to this as well. And I, I do agree. I think half it is Russ trying to play Horus and thinking that, Horus isn't aware that he's going to spring a trap but I think there's also a pragmatic side of Russ thinking even if we fail we could potentially cripple revengeful spirit.
3: Yeah yeah and like strategically that is a very good assumption except for one small problem in that Russ and the Wolves haven't actually fought any of the legions yet that are really associated with chaos. They fought the Thousand Sons at Prospero before, and I mean, one might say the flesh change is kind of chaosy, but not really. And they fought the Alpha Legion. They haven't had the dubious honors of fighting the word bearers or the emperor's children or any of the ones that really would tell, would have given them the, the experience to say, we're not just fighting space marines anymore.
2: No, and also they don't have that experience with uh, the Neverborn
3: mm-hmm.
2: that they have. I mean, we. but one of the things we get particularly from Bjorn's point of view is they do shield themselves against the warp. So they're yes. all carrying like trinkets. So Bjorn's got some little lead tokens, hasn't he, etched into his armour. And it seems like all, I mean, we've always known the wolves are always covering themselves in these fetishes anyway. But... Now they're actually having a practical effect.
3: Right. And even then though, to show and to show the corruption that the vengeful spirit, how how steeped in it it is, they're not actually super effective that as the boarding parties go in, they're hearing the whispers of the neverborn. Um, and one of the things that Bjorn and Bjorn both kind of think about is how much worse it must be if they didn't have this protection.
2: Yes. Which is really setting up the final couple of books of the Siege of Terror book series mm. gloriously, really, to see what we're going to get. Yeah. So on board, we really have two arcs, don't we? We have Bjorn and Russ's arc mm-hmm. as they're heading for the throne room, and we have Braw fingers because his is an interesting one, because this is the second time he's been on The Vengeful Spirit. Yes. So do we want to deal with Braw first? Because I think his storyline ties in with Cool, and it mm-hmm. also has a very distinct end
3: yes Uh, although it it mirrors what you said earlier right that broar (laughs) this is gonna sound weird but broar almost gets a happy ending but not quite
2: he gets the end he deserved and i mean that (laughs) in both (laughs) positive and negative ways
3: (laughs) so broar was acting as a agent of the Sigilite. was one of his um was one of the members of the boarding party from Vengeful Spirit. He's back on board, but now he's here with his, his pack. Um, he is happy as a clam.
2: Well, they're having a the time of their life, and this is a veteran pack, isn't it? They've been mm-hmm. together for decades, really, so it's a suggestion, isn't it? They, they've fought together throughout the Great Crusade, into the early years, until Malkador starts acquiring members of allegiance. legions. Um, and, their primary objective is a magazine, isn't it? That's that's their main area they're heading for. Mm-hmm. Um, they go in through one for gun decks. They spike all the guns in the gun deck as well, literally laying waste to all the gun crews. Yeah, um, just kill. it.
1: Although like, there's this other great moment where, too, where um, they're they they're they're looking at all the thrall, all the slaves that they've killed, um, and it's like you should we should pity them, and they, they look at just how emaciated and full of sores, and you know yes. um, they're. they're you know, obviously treated incredibly poorly. Have a, you know, the octet kind of carved into them, clearly unwillingly. Um, this is another great moment. It's just like because uh, the, the the this particular thrall died in, uh, in in terror, but you see that just through like the, the 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 his face, you could see that no, he's had that fucking look of terror for a while. Mm-hmm. It's and- it's 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 a very haunting part. It's like no, we should we should pity them,
3: right? And this goes back to. That really, this book is about the Sons of Horus. That yeah, the the Space Wolves were available at this time in the Heresy to be the people attacking the Vengeful Spirit, but in many ways, it's really this whole thing is really setting up, as you said, seeing what's going to happen as we go into the siege with the Sons of Horus and the Vengeful Spirit. Of they're not who they were. You needed
1: a viewpoint character to show everybody what they are.
3: Yeah, um, like at one point, one of his pack mates. When they finally actually confront some of the Sons of Horus, and they they uh, just like a a basic infantry squad, and they win, he like takes some flayed skin off the guy's pauldron and is like, "How did this happen? How did the how did the Sons of Horus? How did the Luna Wolves end up like almost like being knockoff Sons of Kurs? Like how could any of them have let this happen?"
1: Yeah, they they shit on Kurz a lot in here. It's like this. This is I would expect this from Kurz. It's like, yeah. leave, leave Kurz, Kurz out of this. He's doing his best,
3: right? Um, it's and... Not very good. He's but... doing his
1: best. His Legion's not, but he's right. trying his
3: best. Right, right. His his Legion. His Legion is the equivalent of you know, Dad's got Dad's got some health issues. So let's raid the liquor cabinet and uh, crash the car.
1: Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty accurate, actually. Um...
2: So, I mean, to be fair, Brawl's pack don't really hit heavy resistance do they no it's until pretty
1: they... much thralls until they hit the yeah. magazine
2: mm-hmm. until but they hit the magazine
1: the description of the magazine by the way um sometimes it's it's, it's fun when they just remind you just how fucking big these ships are mm-hmm. like the magazine is like a bunch of giant, ci- like city-side cylinders pretty much maybe not city-side giant ci- cylinders uh, that are completely separated uh from one another like kind of like a, a honeycomb um, with uh, you know, j- obviously, like, you know, incredibly, like, thick walls between them and an empty space. And and they're designed like a chimney mm-hmm. where um, if one of the magazines goes off, um, all of the, the the energy should be, um, will theoretically be, uh, be, be forced upwards and downwards, like, through, like, a chimney shape so that it doesn't, like, blow up the other, the magazines, which is very intelligent. And they have, like, full railroads. No, not just a little, like, little lift like a full railroad that is running between the magazine and the actual gun decks this thing is big
3: yeah it it reminded me of the the illustrations of like mega city one from judge Dredd. yes where you have like the the mega blocks and they're all connected by various tunnels and trams and stuff like that
2: yeah i i, I agree i think that's a really good visual description and also the point they pick out that this is just one of the magazines on board mm-hmm. yeah um, it's a big ship.
3: A little yeah. terrifying.
2: Yeah, I mean, because we know glory armors are big. We, we know they're massive. I mean, even the standard escorts are huge in 40k. And then mm-hmm. we get these glory armors. And this is one of the things that kind of helps bring that all to bear. But when they're in the magazine, they're ambushed by some skitari, aren't they? Yes. And oh. the skitari are very good at their job because they pin this pack down very successfully. And... They're killing some of your starts as well, isn't it? At least two of your starts is taken mm-hmm. out in the first round of fire.
3: Yes. And this, um, if we line this up in our timeline, this is before Call has freed this Qatari. So we're actually getting to see the benefits of having a Tagmata tech priest, right? someone who has steeped themselves in the science of war, micromanaging her troops. Um, that this is probably the closest we see to getting an idea of if Pertorabo got his way what he would have done with his legion
2: oh that would be interesting Ooh. yeah that's a good alternative heresy story
3: mm-hmm.
1: but yes
2: i mean it's they're horrifically efficient and we get some really good descriptions of the uh, radiant weapons mm. being used and the effects that has on the start's battle plate because yeah. it's it's making a bit of a mockery of it, isn't it? Really, the description of those weapons.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Haley Haley knows how to write a good fight.
2: Yes, um, yes. Yeah, and it's not looking good for Broad for Finger, is it? I mean, um, they're they're now completely pinned down. They're they're surrounded. This scene kind of reminded a little bit of um, New Hope,
3: where yes. you've got
2: stormtroopers closing in on every side, and they don't quite know where to go Is that classic corridor scene, isn't it? Um, Mm. Before they go into the trash compactor. And you do get that real sense of claustrophobia and things closing in, and then cool's tech bomb goes off.
3: The Skatari are free. And it's interesting, and this is why I was, this is why I'm not 100% on how the tech bomb affected the Skatari, because Broar and his pack, like they kind of peek their heads up and the Skatari are just kind of like standing around and then they're like, what's the deal? And the Skatari, you know, they're like, we have our agency again. Like, we're not, you know, we're no longer in direct, we're no longer being directly manipulated. And the wolves are like, well, are you loyal to the emperor or are you not? Like, are we going to continue this throwdown or what's the deal? And the Skatari seem to think about it themselves and like, we're loyal to the Omnissiah. What do you want us to do?
2: Get them all.
3: Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, so they they do manage to pull off mining this entire magazine yeah. because of... they
2: actually run out of grenades, don't they? <laughs> yes.
3: Um, or well, no, it's it's because first they run out of a bombs and charges, then they run out of grenades. Yes. Yeah, they 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 rig up as much of it to blow as possible.
2: Yeah and then because they've completed their objective they then try to get back to boarding torpedo don't they now mm-hmm. i thought this was interesting because clearly they've gone in here with an objective they've achieved their objective and now they're taking a the viewpoint off we need to get out
0: they're yeah, doing that classic go
2: off. yeah are we they're doing the classic Fenrisian raid aren't they they're, they've gone in they've grabbed the resources they need or they've caused the cause of damage they need to and now they're bugging out they've and it's no. going back to that Fenrican cultural warfare.
3: Yeah, the, That's a good and point. this is this is also one of the interesting things I've I've always found about when you consider the Legiones Astartes as a whole and how they operate and how each legion has its own specializations and um, cultures, but at the same time, in the Black Books, we are repeatedly told that every legion can do everything, so. When we, you know, think of here's the Raven Guard, here's the Alpha Legion, you know, the, the 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 raiding specialists, right? The go in, hit hard, fade out. Here we see the Space Wolves doing the same thing, but from a different cultural viewpoint.
2: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think that's one of the, the things we do need to recognize is, yes, I completely agree that every Legion can do everything, but they're going to do that thing in their cultural background way. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to see that also in a few moments, aren't we? With um, how Abaddon effectively deals with defence. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, Abaddon. Because
2: <laughs> once again, a character we have not seen an awful lot of up mm-hmm. until this point. Beyond And even an Vengeful Spirit, we only get a very minimal viewpoint of him. And up until, and this is, JP and I have talked about this before, he's talked, I've ranted, that he's been such a two-dimensional character
3: so when we when we do the abaddon once we really have talked about that bit i think that's where i'm gonna bring something up in terms of Ventral spirit abaddon basically the sons of horus because that whole two-dimensionality is a huge problem and i think one of the things that this book does or one of the things Ventral spirit wolfsbane slaves to darkness does is, is how collectively it deals with that problem.
2: Yes. So let's um, get on to that because yeah. really, this is broad fingers last few moments, isn't it? So they're mm-hmm. trying to get out now. They're, they're on the EVAC back for boarding tube torpedo. They're now running into increasing numbers of Sons of Horus. And every time they get engaged in a firefight with Sons of Horus, they're losing people. Mostly for Skitari, but they are also losing pack members as well. And eventually they get to effectively the trash compactor
1: scene don't they yes Yes. they're kind of stuck
3: this this does have one of the more interesting i I would love to ask guy haley this but i don't know if it's on purpose or not but like a giant middle finger to everyone who models space holes without helmets yes Um, (laughs) yeah we didn't talk about that because because they're having all these running gunfights as they try to escape and one of them, his helmet gets hit. He takes off his helmet. And Bro's like, put your helmet back on. You're being an idiot. And he puts no, it no, back on. It
1: damages the glass. I can't see good. Put the helmet yeah. back on. You, there might be explosive uh, decompression. You need your, you wear your helmet. I don't want to wear it. Wear, wear your helmet.
3: And of course, later on, there's explosive decompression. <laughs> see, aren't you happy you're wearing your helmet? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Glad you listened to me. should um, always model with helmets. Always. Yep. There's no excuse.
1: Yep. <laughs> no excuse. a character. No,
2: uh, there's no excuse.
1: <laughs> my creator
3: doesn't have a helmet because he has unless a personality. You're, unless you're a Primarch who we now know can just survive the vacuum of space.
2: Yeah. That's the only justifiable reason. Iron Halo, he's fine. <laughs> no. No, in the, in, the, in, the, in the modern era of Nemesis bolts you need a helmet. All All
3: right. <laughs> so, they finally end up, and at this, as you said... A bunch of them are dead. Most of the, most of the pack is dead at this point. It's Broor and I think two others.
2: Two or three. Um, it's not. It's yeah. very small, isn't it? And one yeah. or two Skitari.
3: And they run into a full squad of Gisterian Terminators led by none other than first captain of the Luna Wolves and then first captain of the Sons of Horus, Abaddon. And that's the point where Broor is like, "Welp, this is it. Because we might be the sixth legion." But even we recognize that when we're outnumbered by Cataphracti Terminators, who are the elite of the elite of one of the elite legions, led by their first captain, well, you know what, this is a good way to die. I'm going to, you know, me, uh, you know, to be killed by a Baden himself, one of the greatest fighters, like, he's up there with Sigismund, he's up there with Savitar, he's up there with Corswain this is going to be a good death. Yeah. Right? And, and he, he
2: really builds this up, doesn't he? And there's, mm-hmm. there is a bit of banter backwards and forwards. And I like the fact it's minimal banter. And one of the things we've seen a lot with Abaddon, particularly in the Siege series, and especially in the Black Legion novels, is Abaddon doesn't go in for the talkative villain side of things. No, no. He's here for a job, and he's going to do the job.
3: Yeah. And that was always his role in the Mournival too. He was always the, the brusque, straightforward, aggressive one.
1: But they're trying to bait him, right? Like, oh, come down and fight. Fight me like a man. Yeah, because... You know, come down and fight me man to man. Like, story to story, let's do it's this.
3: Just like, it's just like any game of Horus Heresy. If you know you're going to get wrecked, issue a challenge.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but what they need to remember is Abaddon is a gang fighter first and foremost. They don't mm-hmm. play fair. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to play fair. And what I did like is the fact that Borussia figure just lets off a bolt round and he just deflects it with his power glove. He just puts up him, because once again, Abaddon hasn't got a helmet on, yeah. silly boy. Hmm. Braw shoots for the face. Good decision. And he just puts his power fist up to deflect the round. And then the last we see of Braw and his pack, and the last couple of remaining of is they're mown down by a chunk of combi bolt to fire. It's not an honourable death at all. No,
3: no. no. Yeah, just shot four. down like dogs. So, so Literally. close to that, but not quite. Yep.
1: But, I mean, this, that,
3: like, this subverts your expectations a bit. You you expected yeah. him to get out,
1: a so, major character, and and also it's it's one and this will come this will come up later too. It, 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 it's this is usually how the the villains get. Usually you can trick the villain through his pride, right? Mm-hmm. That's how the villain gets uh, uh get gets get, gets his comeuppance because of his pride. It's like yeah, oh, face me man to man. It's like no, and just shoots him down because mm-hmm. that's what a normal person would do in the in the real world. Yep. And, yeah.
3: Oh, hold on to that comment about. Undoing a villain by his pride because that's going to come up later. That's
1: going to come up, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. Because I think this scene works on a couple of on a couple of levels. One, for the reader, it starts to make us think now that no character is safe. Mm -hmm. The the only ones we know are safe are Russ, Horus, and Bjorn Mm -hmm. because they exist later on. But the other secondary characters, we now are thinking, well, if Traw, if um Trifunga was killed anyone's potentially open and as David was suggesting we're now starting to see the more war master elements of Abaddon starting to come out the the features that he will become in the 41st millennium and it's our first glimpse of that
3: yes and this this is where and this is, this is the thing right? we don't see a lot about the Sons of Horus in the heresy series. And I think the reason for that is that at the end of the day, I don't think there's an author who could do justice to successfully actually doing the point of view or the full arc of here's the Sons of Horus becoming the monsters of the Siege of Tara um and this is something that like broar and his pack talk about like how could they have let this happen and then um another space wolf uh one of russ's bodyguards has this whole line about like even if i were following my king in good faith if i saw this happening i'd shoot him myself and so there's always been that question of okay Lokan, Lokan, you know he jumped ship early on but out of all the other sons of horus out of the ones like horus oxamond uh, Luke Sidere, though, he dies early, relatively speaking. Um, Tybalt, Mar, like all the other sons of Horus officers, all these former heroes of the Imperium, right? Having bought into the ideology of the Emperor is a monster, we need to defeat him. How do you take that and then turn it into, FYI, my best friends have been possessed by demons. Um, my war master only takes close advice from... I don't know what the hell that guy is anymore because he never takes off his armor if it is armor anymore. And why is the strategic genius who guided the Great Crusade making all of these horrible decisions like, I don't know, like that lead in that are part of um, the end of the the heresy? Because they're not strategically sound decisions, they're they're warp-based decisions. And I don't think any author could really do that. So by having it be these little snapshots from other people's perspectives of here's Abaddon, you know, at, at Moloch, here's Abaddon at uh, Tricellian. here's Abaddon at the beginning of the siege. And similarly, here's, you know, the sons of Horus at Moloch, here's the sons of Horus at Tresillian, here's the sons of Horus at Beta Garmin. Um, we get to instead, they get to kind of skip the hard part.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I do think the Sons of Horus are a very hard legion to pin down mm-hmm. into yeah. what they are and how they are. We've, you've got the, the classic archetypes, the spear tip assault, that sense of honour, the gang culture, the warrior lodges. But as we've talked about on this podcast several times, the Sons of Horus actually pull themselves in multiple different directions. Yeah. They, they are a gang culture, so they will convalesce around strong personalities. And when Horus is not focused on his legion, as he is in the original trilogy... They convalesce around strong leaders who will guide that section, that gang of the legion off in a certain direction. We've talked about the Malagust grouping with focusing on the powers of warp. We've talked about the Abaddon's focusing on the strong warrior culture before. Yep. And I think by picking out just snippets of them, we get to see how far they've gone down that path.
3: Yeah. Because like um, by the time we get to Slaves of Darkness right, those power factions that you talk, that you just mentioned, they've crystallized, right? We've seen that at that point, the gang culture has become more important than the strategic structure of the Legion itself.
2: Yes, which has always been, because they always emphasize in the Sons of Horus that they don't have overarching organization, they have the company level, and then it stops. They don't have anything over above the company level. So, when that company is formed around that strong individual, that company will follow that individual. That mm-hmm. one individual in charge of that company will follow the person they think is most deserving of their respect. Yeah. So they, that, which is perfect for the type of assault and fighting styles that the Sons of Horus so exemplify. But when we get to the heresy, you can see how that also breaks down as a huge weakness within the Legion.
3: And it's, it's also, what it makes them such an interesting, and this is why I think... The wolves, despite having said, like, you could really take anyone and plug them in for this book, the wolves work well as a mirror because they have a similar structure, right? It's, it's the yarls, it's the, their personal champions that these groups aggregate around. Um, so they offer that kind of parallel to the Sons of Horus. Um, and what we see, we see a preview of what, we're, what we end up seeing in Slaves of Darkness with the Space Wolves at the end of the book.
2: I also think the main overriding difference between the sixth and the sixteenth is the sixth have an overriding culture that links them all together. I think yeah. the Fenrisian culture is what binds them together. So even with the different wolf lords and the different great companies, underneath the core of it, you have that finrigian culture. Whereas by the time we've got to the battle of Tresolian, the Sons of Horus were recruiting all over the
3: place
1: because Katania
3: yeah. is blockaded. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Do the Space Wolves recruit
1: from from anyone else? No, no, no. Only, Fenris. only Fenris. Yeah, yeah okay,
3: um, and that's
2: destroy that's, Fenris, destroy the company, destroy the legion.
3: Yeah, um, it's one of those things where you the because Russ trusts the Emperor enough that when he was like, "I'm so happy that we're now part of the Imperium and you can fix Fenris," and the Emperor's like, "No, no, I don't think so. Um, you're going to get excellent recruits from a hell world." <laughs> Ross kind of is like oh, oh, okay and there uh, that that whereas and we don't this is kind of funny now that i think about it how little we actually know about chthonia um it was only very recently that there was this short story set on chthonia during during the during um when there's when the sons of Horus are taking it back from the imperial fists
2: yeah we, we haven't had anything yeah. not even um, the black book even the black book Black Black, uh, Black Book One yeah. doesn't really talk about Cthulhu. It only talks yeah. about it as a mined out, um, as, well, as a cored out mining world that is replete with gang culture. That's yeah. it. That's all we yeah. get.
3: Um, but yeah, we find out that there is a massive port city, like a modern imperial city, that that everyone knows about, that oversees everything. Um, that they that they have been improving Cthulhu. Um, to a degree, but that that you know, um, Fenris never got that.
1: Oh, but here's the thing. Um, this is this comes up later, and it's one of my best one of the best parts in the book. But the idea that Fenris never got that, we'll come we'll come back to it. But uh, mm-hmm. a- after after, actually, you know what? It's not actually relevant to the plot, so I'll bring it up now. Best one of the best parts of the books after they face Horus, and we'll get to that obviously, is that um, I think it was Bjorn, um, that the well, they're talking about oh my god, Horus is a, is a monster, the, the the sons of Horus are monsters now. And 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 there's this comment that yeah, well, we're monsters too. Imagine if the people of Fenris found out that the Imperium could fix Fenris's orbit uh, so that you wouldn't get those winters and could, um. You know, uh, you, could, you could build spaceports and you could, the, 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 the Imperium could fix Fenris. Imagine if had, uh, and, and the other space was like, ah, oh, like, you'd want, a, you'd want a, a, Fenris of, 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 of weaklings. It's like, I think most people would choose to live.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That, We're all monsters. That. Um...
1: Let's be clear. Like, how the people uh... of Fenris would consider us monsters if they've ever found out that we could, that the Imperium could actually easily fix Fenris.
3: I think it was. I think it was Grimnir, the um, yes, Russ's bodyguard, the the head of the Varangir? gear, Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the only Legion where we've seen that really happen in real time, and as I'm loath to actually say this, is in Descent of Angels with Caliban. That you know. The emperor shows up and Lionel John's like, "Yeah, raise everything to the ground and yeah. build, build arcologies. That's fantastic." Uh,
1: and there were like people that resisted, but they were already destroyed. Remember that that mm-hmm. that one order, uh, that that well, the uh, order was trying to, to 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 clear out all the so monsters. So con- uh,
3: from- continuing the trend of uh, Games Workshop, either is lacking in imagination or really loves wolves. It was the Order of the Lupus.
1: There you go. Yeah. Well, wolves are pretty badass. Got to admit,
3: they are. But it's like it's it's kind of it's a little weird that uh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, you've got I have so many so many issues with that book. Anyway, um, but uh, so Broer dies an anonymous death to abandon the consummate practical gunfighter and uh, gangster gang leader.
2: Gang leader is what it uh, comes down to. It's just like I have an overwhelming advantage. I'm gonna use
3: holy it. Holy crap. It just occurred to me that this basically freaking mirrors like every gangster movie ever, where it's like where like it's the line of guys with Tommy guns.
2: Yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: brought, brought,
2: yes, brawl. put brought a power axe to a gunfight.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Sean Sean Connery's hairy enough to be a space wolf. Um so yeah. So um, let's
2: be, let's move on to the main event. Let's mm-hmm. let's move on to the main event. Yeah, show. we're waiting. So, uh,
1: there's been a bunch of jobber matches and and a couple of mid cards, but everybody wants the main event. Yes, bring out Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have, don't we? We have got the six legion. The bulk of the legion
2: have met up with Russ. They well, it's, um, making... it's
3: three. It's three companies. Yeah, um, three companies have met up with Russ.
2: Yeah, which you know, in broad numbers, is. In- about 3,000 Marines? Probably. In, in, they're well, big fucking companies. Yeah, it's like probably,
3: yeah. well, probably a little more, but they've taken casualties, so probably, yeah.
2: Yeah, and they're going up the main thoroughfare, aren't they? they they're going up the main central axis of the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're commenting as they're going that it's a little bit too quiet. That, like you said earlier, they were all commenting about how the ship has changed. You know, all those victory banners have gone. They've been replaced with the octets. Oh yeah, the horse they, and
1: everything mm-hmm. else. They, they have a bunch of statues that seem to like move when you're not looking at them, kind of like a yeah. Doctor Who reference. But I, I kind of, I kind of thought that was cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, all these hidden entrances pop open down along the central corridor, and they just swarmed by Sons of Horus. Yeah, and not just Sons of Horus. There's also key amongst them as well. And well, this is the first time, really, isn't it, that the sixth legion have come across possessed?
3: Yes, and it's the first time we're seeing. Unless they pop up in a short story somewhere earlier, this is the first time we're seeing lubrici at all.
1: No, ventral spirit—they spirit.
3: do show up in ventral spirit. Yeah. Okay, uh, ventral
2: that. spirit
1: and twisted. But they're they're different. I feel I, 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 this one. Like at one point, Bjorn's fighting like an insect. Like one yeah. of them is an insect with a tentacle. No, arm. They,
2: that's just a standard kelpman. That's not lubrici because Luperky is always, always described as
1: smoke-like.
3: Um. This okay, will... so he's
1: not fighting a luperci; he's fighting just a possessed. Yeah, that's just that, that's oh, okay. just a you council, know, this, Gotcha, gotcha.
3: This this might be a bit of a cross wires of the describing the luperci, because in this case the luperci are described more as like the classic possessed. Um, yeah. That they that's they, the they way come out they come out with Horus, and they've got these monstrous forms. Um, that I think it's like the bjorn like can't believe that it's power armor and 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 all that stuff
2: yeah Um, and one of the things that kind of stuck to me when i was reading this section is if anyone tells you you cannot use modern chaos marine plastics for late heresy sons of horus especially go and read this description yeah because these are chaos space marines as they will be recognized within 41st millennium
1: oh absolutely there's no longer any distinction Um,
3: other warriors whose twisted faces and unnatural limbs Bjorn first took for the extravagance of a mad armorer came after. those are those are the luperci with him. Horace calls them out by name.
2: Yeah it's real vicious close in fighting. I mean these are two close assault legions going at each other aren't they they're, they're both in their specialist elements. this is small unit scale combat individual, ganging up on each other this this is the best elements of both legions yeah. fighting against each other mm. in their best environments
3: yeah and galaxy galaxy in flames when they talk about Istvan three and they talk about the the sheer sensory overload of witnessing a starties versus a starties combat as bolter shells clang off ceramite as they're rushing towards each other and then the slam of powered armor body into powered armor body knowing that unless you're really lucky or really good to take down a brother space marine you basically have to disassemble them and that yeah
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it's only really also no no fear has some great descriptions of stasis versus stasis combat yeah and and actually how traumatic it is for both sides and traumatic not in terms of psychologically but physiologically trying literally as you say having to rip each other to pieces and with these possessed marines it's even worse
3: yes yes because
2: and it and it mentions about the um six legions fetishes melting on the armor in the presence of so much war power
3: oh that was such a cool scene
2: and they can actually fit and like Bjorn mentions at some point he can feel it burning through the ceremony can't he yeah, feel the heat of the amulet through the ceremony.
3: Yep. And it's just... This is... This is where I think we see the difference between the Sixth Legion and their shamans versus the White Scars and their storm seers. Is that the Sixth Legion is in such denial about what they do that mm. they're really not ready for this. They're like, oh yeah, we've got these charms, they'll work, and they're useless. Uh, well, they're up until point. Then they just Absolutely. melt. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas the, sorry.
2: <laughs> Go on. I was going to say, whereas when you read Warhawk and the Stormspe- of the Stormseers when they're fighting against the Death Guard, that's a completely
3: different story. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're they're realistic about it. They're like, yes, we draw from the Warp. We know how dangerous it is. We're just super careful about it. So it's 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 interesting to see that comparison especially because we've we've seen the effect of librarians when they know what they're getting into when they have to fight chaos they're one of the most effective weapons that the imperium has
2: but they have to be prepared for it exactly so i mean russ is at the center of this storm isn't it and it mentions like similar to what we saw in uh betrayal that the sons of horus are gathering around him to try and drag him down is that very much wolf pack mentality and he's just laying waste with a spear around him he's got his varying gear bodyguard Bjorn's near him as well so he's the center of storm and then it all goes quiet and that's when russ and that's when horus appears isn't it
3: and this is this is an entrance
2: yes this is worth his thousand
3: points (laughs) oh yeah well i mean and that's that's kind of the crazy thing is that i i don't think he's fully ascended at this point
2: no he's got a couple of the ascended rules
3: yeah like he's he's part way there but he's like that's the scary thing this is not well okay depending on how depending on what you might consider the scariest parts of dealing with horus in terms of raw power he's not quite there yet no
1: i think it only comes after um after slaves to darkness Mm -hmm.
3: yeah and like
1: after uh um uh, sacrifices himself
3: Yeah. And I'm, can I just say, I'm super happy that Slaves to Darkness has already been covered on the podcast because talking about all of this without being able to talk about Slaves to Darkness really hard. (laughs) Yes. Um,
1: Yeah, it would. Yes. um, But the book is also like three years old. So we were brewing it anyway.
3: Yeah. We have a one year rule. Um, No spoilers. If anything came
1: out in the last year,
3: this way, the listeners though are still are also up to, up to uh, where they need to be.
2: Absolutely. And if you haven't listened to the Slaves to Darkness content, go back and listen to it because it does highlight how Horus has got to this stage.
3: Well, so here's the weird thing. Slaves to Darkness is afterwards. Yeah. So that, that's why it's like a lot of the stuff that happens here won't make as much sense until having, until you read Slaves to Darkness mm. or until you do one better. Well, I no, read Slaves to Darkness. It's delightful. But also go back and listen to the coverage for *Slaves to Darkness*, because that's also delightful. Appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, some, uh, someone's uh, well, so got to like... sell the show while Miles isn't around.
1: <laughs> um, so Horace kind of walks down the, uh, the, the 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 stairs with uh, with his uh, just staring, and then he tells everybody to stop.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, one word: just cease. Cease.
1: And everybody, even the like Spazels are like, "Yeah, we should probably cease." <laughs> But this goes back to something Black
2: Library authors have talked about before. So, I mean, I've been very lucky to be at a, Her- at a heresy weekend and talk to Black libraries about this, and they all talk about this aura that Primarchs have. You know, it, we see this so many times that even Astartes are uncomfortable when they first meet a Primarch, whereas mortals just completely lose themselves.
1: One of the it's discussions in their programming, authors- it's in their genetic material. It is, but one of the authors
2: I believe it was John French who actually talked about, it, suggested that the primarchs can actually dial it up or dial it down depending on their mood. One of the things about Horus is he's lost control of that ability, that his aura, for want of a better word, is so encompassing now that he's swollen over the power of war, that it's taken everything it was that aura was designed to do and just magnify it. That and we can is- see that we can see that effect here, where it's just with a single word. The commander for War Master is obeyed by everyone because they're genetically programmed to obey a war- to obey
3: a Primarch. Yeah, that that's that fits really well, actually. Yeah, I like it.
1: So everybody uh, everybody stops fighting for a bit, and then uh, Horace, uh, well, I guess he uh, talks to his brother.
3: Yeah, and Russ has this this very unguarded moment where everyone else is just you know shut down by Horace's presence. Russ is, is like, Horace, what have you done to yourself? Yeah, so it's just, it's, oh. But yeah, they, they, they have this, they have a very interesting conversation because they're kind of talking past each other. Hor- Horace is, you know, I learned the truth. Our father is a madman. He has to be stopped. Lehman Russ, this is madness. Look what's going on around you. And Horace has this line of, well, it reflects the truth of the universe. It's almost Um, as they're talking to
2: their roles as opposed to a person.
3: Yes, yes. And this is is where, again, we see that idea of fate. Um, But here we see fate almost as this kind of narrative structure of they're acting out those roles in the story that is their lives, right? That they're acting out the roles in some grand epic that will someday be told about them.
1: Oh, that's a really good point
2: yeah I, I, I like that it's very saga based which fits in with both of these legions I mean obviously we know the, the Sixth Legion have their large sagas but we also know amongst the Chthonian culture that they keep stories of the great gang leaders alive mm-hmm. they're, they're an oral they're an oral culture as well
3: yeah yeah and the other the other threads that go through their conversation as they talk and as they fight is Horus continues to reference, the vision he had in the lodge at Davin, that he's doing this to avoid this horrible future, that, right, because we, you know, all, all of this has been about prophecy and fate so far, and here's Horace continuing to fight to avoid, a, uh, like, he's like a Greek tragedy, right? He's trying to avoid this prophecy, and in doing so is gonna make it come about. But we only know that because we're the readers, we know about the 41st millennia. And then to Russ, this just sounds like madness.
2: I think there's also an element that Russ is concerned it could be true. I think Russ is trying to atone for previous actions. I think Russ is trying... We we saw this in earlier elements where Russ is trying to atone for what happened in Prospero, for example.
1: He also mentions in the scene too there, you you ordered me to do it and you Mm -hmm. enjoyed it.
3: Yeah. And that's... This comes to, um, in many ways, as much as... And again, we see here like, like Russ talking almost as if he was acting out a role, we kind of get the impression from this that, the, that Russ as the emperor's executioner, similar to Russ as the Fenrisian barbarian, was always kind of just a, a, a coat that he wore, a role that he played. It was never truly him. That even now, as he's fighting this creature that is wearing his brother's face, from Russ's perspective, he can't help but think to, to be somewhat compassionate, right? That, oh, you know, let us heal you. Let's get you back to Tara. We'll have the emperor can take care of you, um, instead of just, you know, going all out. Though partly because he can't, partly, I don't know how I'd describe that. We haven't really talked yeah. about the physical altercation yet.
2: No, I, I agree. And I, I think this is one of these classic fights. It's almost like a precursor to what we've seen in some elements of, in the Siege of Terror, where it's not just a physical fight. There is also a psychological battle going on as well at the same mm-hmm. time. It, it's almost a mirror of what we've seen between the Emperor and Horus in the Siege of Terror, in the war.
3: I feel that once, once we get up to the... Before we get to the evacuation, remind me to come back to that because that's that's important um in return, in terms of what's going on with with this battle on multiple planes of existence. So let's move
2: on to the actual fight itself because the fight yeah. they describe is brutal. Yeah. I mean this we are talking about two of the, the best close combat orientated primarchs going each other with no holds barred. I mean the, the classic if you go back to any kind of literature fights between brothers are always the most vicious. Yes.
1: Yeah. I do I'm- wish that this idea that they both uh, they've both kind of wondered who could who who would win. I wish this would have been set up earlier. Like the sanguineous horse stuff was always set up very early in in in, in the storyline, mm-hmm. so it becomes really poignant. But this was like set up in the foreword to this book.
3: But at the same yeah. time,
1: you can you, you you
3: believe it, and and that's one of the reasons why again, like this idea that this story needed to happen, the Space Wolves work because they were available, you could have written that same scene in the foreword with almost any other Primarch, and it would have made sense. Um, of like, you could totally see like the Lion or Guleman being like, how would I kill Horace? Well, okay, not Guleman, because he's a, but he, he, he might think like, how would I strategically outmaneuver Horace? Whereas the Lion would just be like, how would I kill Horace?
1: But I think they've all been kind of thinking in those terms and it makes sense as brothers, but I, I, I do like, it does follow the, uh, it does follow the lore. The lore is that the, 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 um, the sons of Horus, uh, sorry, the Luna wolves, uh, sorry, Horus was the first um, Primarch to be uh, to be rediscovered by the emperor. And mm-hmm. the second was um, Lehman Russ. And it makes sense that Horus would have some jealousy from the new kid. Right.
3: Oh yeah. Especially cause depending, depending on one's perspective, we don't have. There hasn't been the Horus Primarch novella yet, um, but there was the, the the short story in the uh, Sons of the Emperor anthology of young Horus on Chthonia. And Horus, confronted by a Primarch like Lehman Russ. I imagine there was a little bit of imposter syndrome going on.
2: Yes, I, I would agree with that, because Horus on Chthonia, before he rises to power, is a runt. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely downtrodden, he's cast out, he's the lowest member in the gang. And there's that's always gonna be in the back of Horace's mind. How yeah. does he compare against his brothers? Yeah. And, and we see that when he's declared Warmaster. Those conversations he has in view what well, in the warp, the dreams that he has with Malagas, for example, where mm-hmm. he's so doubted himself and his abilities as War Master. Yeah. We see that all along, and I do agree that there's a level of imposter syndrome along the force, which then opens him up to that weakness in the Davenite Lodge. But anyway, let's go on for a fight. Let's go on for a fight, because what's quite good here is that they don't drag it out too long.
3: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I always see it that Primark fights are going to happen in one of two ways, either brutally short and vicious or brutally long and vicious, and this is leaning towards the former. Yes,
1: I like that they didn't go with the fast versus the slow or the unmovable object against the uh, the uh, unstoppable force kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is not the Khan versus Mortari, no. or uh, Fulgrim versus Ferris Manus.
3: Yeah. No, and th- that's the thing is like these two, um, they're not they're not evenly matched, but. Their fighting style, their base abilities are relatively on par. Russ thinks he still could have beaten Horace before whatever has happened happened to Horace. Um, But as they're fighting, they are, they're not dis, yeah, you, you put it really well, but I'm trying to, yeah, that it's not just an, it's that there's a massive difference in power level, but there's not that difference in style.
1: Well, I think what, what Russ does here is brilliant. It's he, he allows himself to be stabbed.
3: Right. And this goes back to that that arrogance, that pride that we don't see with Abaddon. That Abaddon is just like, okay, no, you're challenging me. That's funny. Kill them all. Whereas Russ manages to use that pride and arrogance to open up Horus in that classic you stab me, I stab you.
2: Well, I think there's also the element that Horus isn't quite aware of what this spear does.
3: Um,. We 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 get the description that as the spear is moving around, it's pushing back Horus's aura of corruption. But yeah, Horus himself does not know what this thing does.
2: And it's that's an especially point because Russ has never really used it. He he's had it earlier on. It's it's very early, great crusade weapon. But he's always mm-hmm. kept it in the vaults. He's always yeah. preferred his other weapons. Yeah. So Russ, or sorry, Horus won't have seen me use it in active service. It's not like other prime weapons like. Um, the Lantern or other weapons he's seen Primarchs use.
3: And that's... That... Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, so that that's key. Yeah, He knows it's a potent weapon. It's in the hands of a Primarch. Of course it's going to be a potent weapon. He doesn't know the effects it will have. And I'm strongly convinced the Chaos Gods don't know the effects it's going to have, or else they would be pushing more power into chorus at this
3: stage. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up the Lantern because... The, the lantern wasn't crafted by the Emperor, but even out of all of the Primarch weapons and armors that the Emperor was personally involved in, this is the only one that is uh, a Psy This is the only one that actually is imbued with his power. So it's almost like it was like a, like show them what they're expecting with all these other Primarch weapons, but the actual dangerous one no one's ever seen before.
2: It's, it's, the, it's the classic break glass in case of emergency.
3: Yeah, actually, that's does and because I don't think, yeah, because Valdor was has never really talked with anyone about what his spear does other than no. Russ. So no. yeah, so no one sees this thing coming,
2: and Valdor never gets off the throne world apart yeah.
3: from Prospero. Yeah, so, yeah. Once once the emperor returns to the throne world, Valdor never leaves.
2: Yeah, so yeah. let's talk about the, the impactful moments. So Russ has opened himself up.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Horus plays into that advantage, but. Yours is a the return kill. blow yeah takes he takes that return blow doesn't he
3: and what I like is that and this is one of those classic examples of pre-sequelitis everyone's always made such a big deal about how the Talon of Horus has the blood of the Emperor and the blood of A. Primarch Sanguinius on it but now we also get to know that it's actually also got Lehman Rossa's blood on it
2: Yes, it's pretty. Good which weapon. has got to add to its power it's got to add to that the lore around the weapon to a, such a large degree
3: I love the idea that in the 41st millennium, this is why everyone loses to a bad and they're like, okay, we've planned for a weapon that's killed the emperor and killed a Primarch. And some like random actor is like, what if it killed two Primarchs? And they're like, that's silly. He never stabbed another Primarch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, he he opens up Russ like a can of tuna. Yeah,
1: and then Russ just gives him like just gets him right in the side. Yeah. Right in the kidney. They describe it later that he gets he gets stabbed in the kidney. And then um, white light starts blasting out of all his orifices.
3: Yes. Um, it's, that, it's that classic visual uh, language of purifying light, cleansing something.
1: Oh, the other thing that they, they had brought up, you know that, you know, the, 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 the classic horse red glow around his head? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to have any source which they point out in this book, which I think is really interesting. Yes. I always thought that he had like little lights, but no, there's no real source for that red glow. Like you see it in that video that they put out, uh, that yeah, uh, uh, Games Workshop put out last uh, last year, mm-hmm. last year, you know, before Adepticon. Um And 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 it goes out and it's white light coming out of his mouth, coming out of his eyes, coming out of the stab wound.
3: Yeah. So good. But what comes next is, is almost better, in my opinion, because... We have, well, we have two things. First, Russ doesn't finish the job. He decides to talk with this weakened thing before him instead of just twisting and making sure he's dead.
1: Yeah. Um, and this is what I wanted to, to mention earlier. This is, again, um, a reversed, uh, re- reverse uh, action movie villain kind of situation because usually the action movie uh, the action movie villain does not finish off the hero and, and decides to talk because of arrogance and winds up um, uh, getting killed in the end and this time it's uh, it's 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 russ that does that
2: yeah i think this, the other element to that is russ has already killed one brother as far as he's concerned he has killed magnus
3: yeah
1: just one dude we, we don't need to go well, and get into it but yeah. it's probably more than but one let's,
3: let's yes let's walk away that from that now we we are russ as of this moment is the equivalent of the bat, like. He is no longer the swaggering pup of the early crusade who would do anything, kill anyone, but he's now more measured. He's he's more in touch with his humanity, for lack of a better word, that he is one of 20, two of which are gone. Th- three one, of
1: which are gone. Three,
3: Yeah, four, four. counting Ferris.
1: That's true. And
3: those numbers are never going to go up um and that at the end of well, the day
2: we don't arguably get... you could say five because they've got no idea if a vulcan's alive
3: that's true that's right yeah yeah um and at this point i don't know if i don't know if russ knows that Korax is alive either actually
1: yes uh, they do yeah Korax came to back guess. to terra
3: okay right because he grabbed he grabbed the uh the the no he grabbed the primark data
1: oh, yes yep. and marx yeah, yeah yeah
3: yeah and there's and this is where it works really well with this idea again of, of fate that fate has been molding him and changing him to be the right person at the right time and that person is not an executioner that person is a little bit more compassionate a little bit more willing to listen compared to who he was at Prospero and also because it's who he needs to be because we know Horace has to survive
2: yeah I I, I would agree and I think he sees a, a chance of redemption for Horus at this stage. He can see, he's seen the effects of the spear. We know the spear opens up the, the true inner person mm-hmm. that that's one for that spear's effects. And he thinks with the injury he's inflicted, as serious as it is, that is enough to bring Horus back to himself.
1: And... Yeah. No, and it kind of happens. Horus like goes onto his knees and it seems like for a second, Russ looking, at I was like, Horus, is that you?
3: This gives us one of the greatest moments. I've been using that a lot. Like I this this is one of my favorite books for because it has a lot of these great moments. But it's it's the I like to call it the, the JP was right moment. Um doesn't happen often. Please don't go on. Him
2: up. Don't, don't. Be- because
3: here's here's Horace Lupercal with the shadow of the warp washed away from him in his own right mind. And what's the first thing he talks about? This had to happen. The emperor is a monster he has to be taken down but maybe he took it too far right that ideologically horus is still convinced that his rebellion his his this civil war needed to happen um and again whether that's because of he just accepts that the emperor is a monster because of those visions on Davin, who knows but this isn't one of those magical moments that you see in other things where it's like oh i've gotten rid of this corrupting influence and now you're a good guy again and yay it hugs all around it's no it's like yeah, Russ, you've been talking to me this entire time. The Emperor needs to die.
1: Yeah, but the the other he says, am I, and this is the key moment, um, am, I as, am I as bad as him? Yeah. Oh my God, am I as evil as the Emperor? And, and that's the, that is the real Horace. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, and he, he, and and this comes up later on. It's like, was it the real? Yeah, I think it really was. It's like oh, yeah. the, the horse, yeah, the, the uncorrupted horse is still yeah. convinced that the Emperor needed to be overthrown.
2: Yep. It's the, it's the pre devanite Horus we're seeing there. It's loop we're seeing. Yes. It
1: oh, can we pause cards. it? Can we can we just for two seconds pause it? An alternate heresy, if you will.
3: Go for it. Does
1: the Horus Heresy happen without any influence from the warp?
3: Yes. Yes, but it's very, very, very short-lived.
1: Yes. Maybe. Maybe maybe. Um, it, it mo- would add, it, yes.
3: Because the 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 reason why I say yes, but very short-lived is if you take if you take people like Corphoron, Erebus, and Callus Typhon out of the equation, things are very different for the the 17th Legion and for the um and and for the for the Death Guard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but could you maybe convince a few others that wouldn't have turned normally because of uh, corruption? Could you could you convince uh Jakutai Khan?
3: Yeah, I think I think an uncorrupted Horus could actually could probably convince the Khan. Maybe, oh, yeah, they... and, and, Maybe Korax as well, actually. Yeah. Because because Kor- he hates you, tyrants.
2: Yeah. If you, I was going to say, if you can persuade Korax that that um, the emperor is a tyrant, which wouldn't take that much. Yeah. Horus, Horus, would easily turn.
3: Yeah. And I think you might. This is depending on the timing of it. You might be able to turn Gulam as well. I I think that if if, if someone could basically take Gulam just rub his face. In how much the rest of the imperium wasn't like ultramar mm. you might be able to get him on board too
1: it's an intriguing thought experiment i thought this was one of the most uh, brilliant parts of the book i completely agree uh it it because it because you would expect him to say oh my god what have i done this is so horrible i love my father but no it's just like he needs to be overthrown am i as bad as him yeah. Did, have i sunk to his level is that what i've done my god
3: yep and that, that is effectively the, the thought cancer that he's dealing with in slaves to darkness is that Lupercal is loose in his soul being like, is it worth being a slave to these dark gods to make this happen and railing against the fact that no, he is Lupercal, he is the war master, he will make war in his own terms as meanwhile, you know dark gods thirstingly laugh at him. And which Malager's-
2: interestingly enough, is the path Abaddon goes down. Right. Ab- Abaddon effectively carries on Lupercal's heresy, not Horus's heresy.
3: Excellent point. Yeah, I hadn't you know, even thought about that.
1: Because
2: well, we haven't covered Saturnine yet. Saturnine is next on
1: our list from Siege of Terror. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain. No, sequence. it's not. Saturnine. It's not. It's Sons of the sal- uh, Saturnine are next. Oh. Sons oh. of the salinar. That's what's next. Oh. Anyway. Okay.
2: There, there's that masterful sequence in. In Saturnine, where you see Abaddon turn from 30k Abaddon into a 40k Abaddon and the complete disregard for the warp and his willingness to just engage on a personal warrior's level, utilizing the powers of the warp. Yeah. And that crystallizes in Saturnine. But what we're seeing with the injured Lupercal is what that could have become, what he yeah. could have delivered if he hadn't gone through the Davenite experience.
3: Actually, well, I think it's if he hadn't gone through Moloch, Th- that that's kind of almost two separate questions. Like, would it what have mean? happened if he hadn't gone through the Davenite experience, versus what would the what would the what would the late heresy look like if Horace hadn't been convinced that he had to go through Moloch to personally match himself against the emperor?
2: It's an interesting one. That's something we're going to have to come back to in a future episode. Yeah. I think. No. that that's something we need that's to. It's to. So let's get back to the story then. So. Very quickly, the shutters come back down, don't they? Mm -hmm. And this is when Russ pays a price for not acting. Because he is cannoned across the room by Worldbreaker, isn't he?
3: Yes. And it's probably supposed to be a really somber moment. But the next bit is one of the funniest things I've ever read in a Black Library book. Um, So Horace follows him across the room, goes to deliver the killing blow with Worldbreaker. And it doesn't land because he ends up flattening a random space wolf who jumped in the way. (laughs) Those, Um,
2: um, oh, look out, sir rolls are amazing in this book.
3: He didn't roll a single
1: one. Not, Not a single one.
3: Nope. And before Horace can then do a second attempt at a killing blow, it happens again. And it keeps happening with an increasing rate of wolves jumping in front of him that it becomes wolves jumping on top of him. Until he literally disappears under a pile of Vilka Fenrica, like in the Matrix, in the second Matrix movie. They are literally burying him under a mound of hundreds of space marines.
1: There's like a thousand uh, uh, space bulls in that room.
3: Yeah, and they are being, like, the ones running to join the pile are being killed by Sons of Horus. The ones that make it there just jump on the pile to be killed by Horus. And meanwhile, the, uh, the Varangir are, are pulling Russ away to escape. But I just love that mental image of just like, it is a literal dog pile of space wolves on top of, of Horus. <laughs> yeah. To the point that you I, cannot I see him. I really,
2: it. really love the description of how they're struggling carrying Russ. Mm-hmm. And also, when they're describing his injuries, the fact that his injuries are not sealing up. they used to in their Primarch injured in fights they used to almost seeing the wounds close over but these injuries caused by horus are just not sealing
3: yeah and it's it's weird because i think this is the first time other than horus right because we've seen what happens to a legion when their primarch is wounded in a weird way right we saw it with horus at davin and we saw what the, the luna wolves did in response to that now we're seeing it from a different perspective and it, it brings to mind this kind of weird hypocrisy that I feel like most of the Primarchs have. Because like during all of this, Russ was thinking, okay, there's still an escape route open for my sons because I'm going to die, but they're going to live. And the idea that any Primarch thinks that any of their Legion, okay, maybe not Kurs or Angron, um, but most of them, the idea that their Legion would let them die without going down with them, uh, it's such a weird blind spot
2: yes and because they are sacrificing everything to get russ out aren't they?
3: yeah like when because one of the things that like when broar and his pack like are retreating back to their boarding pod they're like yeah you never know when when you know a few space marines will be able to turn the tide of battle we are a valuable resource now that we've accomplished our objective we're not going to throw ourselves away but now here you have a thousand space wolves all jumping into death's arms so that Lehman Ross can escape.
1: Yeah, they pull him through like the uh, like the doors, like the big, obviously giant doors that that um, lead into the throne, um, not the throne room, but you know the the, the hall. So they get like uh, it's Bjorn and uh, someone else. They're, they're pulling uh, Ross uh, out. Grimnir again. Yeah, and then and then a bunch of tech marines jump in and like weld the door shut with a thousand fucking uh, a thousand space wolves. Fighting like that will die. Yeah, but like, okay, that's fair. That's a sacrifice we're all willing to make. And they yeah. they, they seal the door shut to keep horus from finishing the job. Mm-hmm. The, the the whole legion is willing to sacrifice. It's very Nietzsche esque, right? The idea that the the the, vil- the whole village to sacrifice itself for the one um, the the suit for the Superman.
2: Yeah, but there's there's one other kind of element of sacrifice involved, isn't there? Because when they get in close to the landing bay, they realize it's voided. Bjorn hasn't got a helm. He lost his helm early in the fighting. And Grimney hands his helm over and tells Bjorn to take the helm and go with Russ because Bjorn has a special fate. And once again, it fits yeah. back to this idea of fate. And Bjorn's trying to shrug this off. And Grimney's now, like, no, Russ needs you. There's this conv- utter conviction that the two of them have their fates entwined so yeah. much that the head of the wolf guard, effectively the first captain is prepared to sacrifice themselves for effectively just a pack leader
3: yeah it's it's that and it's why i like that idea of that fate is powerful and fate as pre-sequelitis is even more powerful um that they they've never at least in the wolf books they've never attempted to subvert this idea that bjorn will be one of russ's boon companions and will be the one that he leaves in charge eventually
2: yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that. It's been one of the overriding themes of the entire heresy saga is this idea of fate. But with the, with and the Fenrico, it's very strongly entwined within, within them. Mm-hmm. But this evacuation is not going particularly well, is it? They're being mown down left, right and centre. And what is making things worse is now Horus has freed himself of all those um, lookout serve roles. And he's coming up behind. This is now the serial killer coming up behind everyone, isn't it? That slow, inoxable advance laying waste of people around him. And they can feel that dark presence, can't they? It's almost like a shadow coming over them.
3: Yeah, it's it's Horus as a force of nature. But They do manage to get him... I don't remember if it's a Stormbird or a Thunderhawk, but...
1: They get him they into get a it, Stormbird, yeah. yeah. His, his command Stormbird. Yeah, it's his, personal, it's his personal Stormbird again, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, right, because it's... Um, was it like? It's the one with all the... It doesn't look different, but it still has special Gugahs, so he's more likely to live
1: yeah yeah they get oh. him in and 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 they take off and they speed towards uh the rough her and
2: there's apothecaries all over russ yeah yeah <laughs> he's swarming in apothecaries but they can't do anything can they and that's one of the key things they keep pointing out is they're struggling con- to contain the bleeding they're struggling to, con- to deal with the injuries because they just don't know how primark physiology works it's exact mirror of what happened with Lupacal and David.
1: yeah yep, yep. So, but they they do manage to get into and and again, all, all they're they're all trying to escape and they're getting gunned down again on the way in. They were getting gunned down on the way out. They're getting gunned down. Um, so they manage to get Russ onto the flagship and they 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 pull him out and and Bjorn's like it was it was a failure then. I was like no. I was like I, I talked yeah. to my brother.
3: Yeah, Russ Russ does kind of make a coherent sentence. Um, I talked to my brother. Yeah. yeah, and and he also he says we didn't fail, which goes back to slave to darkness, goes back to how the spear works. And it goes back to why I think at the end of the day, the emperor screwed himself over by being too clever. Russ has stabbed Horus with the spear. Looper Cal is now loose in Horus's soul. This causes that weird coma from slaves to darkness. It introduces this level of doubt that wasn't there previously. And I think that, you know, if you're looking ahead, you're the emperor and you're like, oh yeah, fate and, you know, prescience and I'm going to be able to create this moment of opportunity when I fight Horace by appealing to this psychic shard that got created when Russ stabs him with the spear and that'll give me an edge. And then Malagers just straight up murders Lupercal.
2: Yeah. there's nothing subtle there at all.
3: Yeah. And so you're wondering later on, like if Russ is thinking he didn't fail because he managed to, 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 you know, Empower Lupercal versus you know Horus Ascendant, and Malagers just straight up killed him. All that's left is Horus Ascendant. All that's left is the incarnate avatar of the four Chaos Gods.
2: But let's round this section off. Let's kind of round off the, the, the Wolves' Escape because the mm-hmm. the order is given to run, isn't it? And mm-hmm. it's very similar to uh, I forget the actual location of the Thrammis Crusade where the Night Lords are ambushed.
3: Oh, just, the. Uh, and the- they just bug out. Yeah, the the um, Battle
1: of uh, oh it's, my it's, God
3: it's not Sugala that that's different
1: no it's um Sugala uh, is the is is the kid
3: no oh, no no no,
1: yeah, uh, no no it's no no it's this right. is, I
3: hate this because you're right because there's the there's the kid warp creature and then there's the the new homeworld for the night lords and they sound the same to me
1: yeah yeah you're right never mind. it's, it's um, all like
3: T-S-A-L-G's.
1: But yeah, the, the 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 battle where they get like ambushed uh, by by the, the lion and like decimated, yeah, it, and Sevatar uh, tells big, it's and, the
3: and, last and, big battle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Thranus Crusade, and then the Night Haunter uh, goes to fa- to face uh, the lion and gets stuck on the Invincible Reason, and then Sevatar has to take, like what's left of the Night Lord and say, okay, what do you guys want to do? Do we uh, keep fighting as a legion, or do we split up? And they decide, yo, let's split up and do our own thing. So, so anybody I've that wants to come share with-, with me, you can come with me, and you guys can all do your own thing. Yeah, and, but what we
2: see here with the wolves is they're just giving the order, get out, get out. Well, The job's done, for, for, for good or ill, the job is done, bug out. And a friend call is obviously making out from Mendeville Point, and then looming behind it is the vengeful spirit coming on there after full burn as well.
1: Oh, yeah, got about
0: yeah. that
2: bit. And the description of a vengeful spirit coming down is so menacing. You just get this whole image of this thing is just devastating behind it and it's knocking escort ships out of the way. It's not even shooting at the escort ships, is it? It's literally ramming them out of the way.
3: Yeah. It and that's again that that sense of scale of a gloriana <laughs> that it can do that.
2: Without any negative impacts on it as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's quite happy to knock the escorts out and not really and not be infected. But this is where Trifinger's final vengeance comes in, isn't it? Oh yes.
3: Yes, because it is.
2: the magazines blow, or a magazine blows on board, and it just knocks out the main power, doesn't it? Yep. And you get this wonderful description of vengeful spirit just going dark.
3: And uh, and, and again, it's those little twists of, we know Russ is going to make that alive, right? That's his fate. And now, because we're actually seeing it how it happens, we can kind of work backwards and trace how fate made that happen through people like Broar through people like Call.
2: Yes, I mean, it's such a good little scene because it's that, it's, it's very Rogue One-esque where you have Star Destroyers coming in and just laying waste and then something happens that allows people to get away. It's that whole idea of the serial killer chasing after someone and someone gets in the way to distract the serial killer to allow the main person, the, the, the main hero protagonist, to make that bid for freedom and, and last a little bit longer on screen yeah it, it's that whole the monster in the, the dark has been distracted
1: briefly and then they have their their little conference say what they're going to do and again uh, yeah, it's and- similar choice to the night lords but they okay so do we split up um it's be exactly
2: harder for us the to- night it's exactly like the night lords isn't it yeah. it's the same mm-hmm. we, we find out the grim got back on board without his helm
3: yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he just basically mugged the Sons of Horus and just took it.
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Maybe shake him a head out as he, did it, as he did it. Yeah. But yeah, it's exactly the same as the Night Lords. Once again, it's another reflection. Whereas the Night Lords decided, no, we're bugging out. And Sevatar used various methods to pull back some of them back online. <laughs> um, methods. You know, it's, it's the Night Lords way.
3: Um, well, I mean, it's you talk about legions descended from gangs. It's it's exactly, yes, that's
2: it. Whereas the wolves decide, actually, collectively, the pack is stronger together. If we break and run, they're only going to hunt us down individually.
3: Yeah, and I I really like that because it it not only shows again that that cultural difference having an impact on how they operate, but it also hews closer to that at the end of the day like despite any stereotypes about you know vikings or even wolves right you know oh alpha male blah like that at the end of the day like wolf packs are family units they look after each other they yeah. care for each other and pick a pick a scandinavian medieval culture it's again family units looking after each other taking care of each other
2: it's also any kind of Early medieval warrior culture: the the king holds our oaths; we are loyal to the king to the death. And there's no greater glory than dying with your king. Yes, that that's what holds it. I mean, I, I could point you towards several texts or several early medieval poems where they lament the loss of their king and they themselves haven't died. There's mm-hmm. there's various different Ang, Anglian poetry, Welsh poetry, Irish poetry that all reflects the, the dishonor of dying. Or, or not dying with your king. And we see this with the wolves here, that idea that they're a pack, they're a culture, they're a war band, a weather, or whatever you want to refer to them as, but they know Russ is alive, he's severely injured, but he's alive,
1: our duty, our oaths are bound to him. I I couldn't, I, I don't think there's a better place to end it than there.
3: I mean, so basically, yeah, because really the only thing left is that it sets up, um, it sets up Yerrant, that's really the only thing else Yeah, that's that where happens. they decide to yeah. regroup. It's like, ooh. Yeah. And, right. um, and Horace uh, sends Abaddon after them.
2: Yes, and that's a good point of also explaining why we don't hear much from Abaddon then until Siege of Terror, because yeah. he's busy butchering wolves.
3: Yes, which, and again, that, that weird fate thing. As you said, Darren, Abaddon hasn't gotten a lot of screen time. And what he has had has always been under Horace's thumb, right, in his shadow. Yerrent is really what's going to end up making his reputation as someone who can operate at Primarch levels of command. That he can lead and execute a campaign capable of effectively destroying the remnants of a legion as they and are fighting also,
2: to... And also do that by leading the coalition because we find out he's taking Lords and wordbearers with him. Yeah. So
3: yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we see this again, this idea that this is... Showing that transition of Abaddon of the thirty-first millennium to Abaddon of the thirty-fourth millennium,
2: and it's interesting that we haven't had many stories about Yaron. We've had one from a, from a Raven Guard perspective about how they combat drop in and rescue the wolves, but that's it.
3: I'm I'm wondering if it's one of those things where the 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 vibe at the writers' table was like, this is one of those things where it's it's better left vague and let people imagine how it goes rather than try to pin it down
2: yeah yeah i, I think so I, i'm wondering if we may get it as a campaign book in the future it'd be nice as a campaign book
3: yeah i would uh that'd be really good point. as a campaign book
2: that's another discussion um, for another time but
3: yeah oh, i would give them a chance to do a new abaddon
2: mm-hmm. oh yes but also bring in some of those other characters like bjorn or grimney or yeah some of those, other, yes, that it would be a, a quite a nice campaign. But so, Andy, shockingly, hasn't made
1: a Bjorn figure.
3: Well, okay, so this is, this goes into the weirdness that is the the answers we will never have because even if we could ask the questions, we probably wouldn't get the straight answer. Gregor the Fell-handed for the burning of Prospero box the the scuttlebutt. The rumor was always meant was always that that was meant to be Bjorn but when they wrote or when abnett wrote um Prospero Burns that Bjorn was just because it was like just a pack leader like he wasn't actually important they couldn't use the mini for Bjorn so they made up someone else that was always oh, that's like interesting. The, that that was always the kind of like the vague rumor that went around because there was this it's like literally like Bjorn the fell-handed here's Gregor the fell-handed who's armed and armored exactly how Bjorn has always been described traditionally, but now he's a command level character, whereas in the books Bjorn is this you know pack leader. And so like, yeah, you you who knows. Right. Shall we
2: round off Wolf uh, Wolf Spain then? So overall, JP, what have you thought of the story?
1: Ah, it's a fantastic book. I mean we laugh at the call bits, but they were all entertaining. And <laughs> and uh, again uh, I, I I I thought everything was. I I really like the, the route. I think they're 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 intriguing. Uh, unlike a lot of people, like unlike some, we had a whole debate on whether or not Prosper Burns was a good book for like Wolves players. I I always loved Pl- Prosper Burns. Um, I thought that Wolf King is one of my favorite stories. This one was good. I thought it's not. I'm not a fan of the route as an army, but I find everything that they put them in is usually entertaining and interesting. And I thought this was entertaining and interesting. And that last bit there, especially when just the savagery of the fight between um, the two wolf legions was, was just, was just great. I thought it was a good book.
3: David. Pretty much the same. I think Haley was in a difficult spot because he had to work around getting certain characters to be certain places and do certain things. And I think he managed to do it pretty well. The, the action was fantastic. The, the characterization was fantastic. I think that given the constraints he had to work under, this is an amazing book of, of yeah, like the fact that he had to write a Primarch fight where one of them doesn't die um, is just, yeah, he did, he did great. Um, and we cannot do justice to his writing and describing those fights. Go out there and read it.
1: And for yourself?
2: I'm I'm going to be biased on a Suntourist book, so straight away um, I'm going to be making strong judgments. But yeah, obviously we've discussed my dislike for middle third, but I think overall the quality of the book overrides any problems I have with with one particular section. The narrative construction, the way they portray various different themes... The way that the Primarchs are characterized amongst their legion and the, the challenges they face, the doubts they have inside them. And also, as we've discussed in tonight's episode, the, the possibilities of what it means for wider heresy, both in terms of control of the warp, control of the, the, the chaos powers, or what it could have been like, and also the doubts that we, the Primarchs have to deal with. Overall, I think it's a very, very strong novel and certainly. I would say within the top five.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, I don't know if I put him in the top five. I definitely put it, uh, I put it high up. Maybe when we're done talking about the books, we can, we can do a rating.
3: Um, no, we're not. I think, <laughs> no, I think we're not. collectively, I think collectively, if you were to splice together the A plot from uh, Wolfsbane with the Sons of Horus parts, and then the A plot parts of the Sons of Horus from Slaves to Darkness, and you, you took those bits and combined them into a single thing, that would definitely be, be I'd honestly say top three, combining those two parts to make yeah, a single some story. Stuff in there. yeah. I, I, I would agree with yes.
1: that. Yes, yeah, absolutely.
2: And it, it shines a light on a legion we don't see very often.
3: Yeah, yeah, because it's it's in many ways it's the flip side of of the Acton Cruise, right? I was never a son of Horace, and he's right, but by that same regard, that means. Those first three books are about the Luna Wolves, and we never really have proper books about the Sons of Horus.
2: Yeah. No. So that's it. That's our coverage of Wolfsbane completely finished. Um, we're going to do a pallet cleanser next, aren't we?
1: Yeah. When we, uh, are we doing a Primarch book?
2: Yes, we're going to do a Primarch. Possibly the Ferris
1: one, but we'll wait okay. and see tbd 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 but anyways uh david thank you so much for coming along with uh with this adventure for the this last bit of the book we really really appreciate it as usual to have you on thank you and you'll that be back good, for good. uh hidden uh hidden dagger
3: right uh bur- buried dagger yeah um it's, it's hidden dagger nope buried it's buried, it's dagger? buried dagger buried yeah, dagger. Buried dagger.
1: i've been saying hidden dagger the whole time no one corrected me
3: no, I mean, no, you, we, you only did it we kind of like aware. once yeah god and, damn it and it's it's
1: it's, it is buried dagger. Damn it! Oh, um, I'm embarrassed. It's
3: okay. Uh, the, that at the uh, honestly, I think the only reason why it's called buried dagger rather than hidden dagger is because of the whole death guard, reaper, grave warden type thing. So they had to work in more uh, like cemetery crypt style wording. I mean, you could it could easily be called you know, uh, uh you know, <laughs> betrayal at phalanx.
1: Yeah, it's fair too. But, anyways, uh-huh. you will be back on the show, and we very much look forward to it. And we'll be right back for the Strategium.
2: Welcome to the Strategium. So now we've finished with Wolfsbane. and <laughs> that's a bit of a big end, isn't it? In that novel, let's face it that 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 has a bit of a climatic end. All heresy novels do, but that that one's pretty good. And there's so many good moments in that. Uh, and thanks to David for the added bonus of a conversation that he brought to it as well, and um, not just me ranting about it. Um,
1: but you keep you keep encouraging But it was <laughs> so interesting. Uh, it's the, not like me. The second part it's not is like me. It was one of the better ones that we've done. It was it was chock full of content. Yeah, I I, 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 I very much enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I I enjoyed. I Anytime you need to rant about things you know a lot about, you know that you're welcome to do so here. Yes, this is it's... this is all that we do.
2: What what we need to do at some point is a mechanicum industrial conversation, don't we? So you can have a good rant about it. <laughs> we need to do structure of the of the or Road or
1: something. Legit, given a lot of thought about. Uh, i because uh, um, I'm a um, business economic uh, historian, and um, like I've I've wanted to discuss like how the imperial economy works because I do have some ideas. But at the same time, it's such a fucking mess of different things that it's hard to like center on on just because is it feudal? But there's definitely capitalistic elements, and there's you know, it's, I it's think just... you need weird. you need
2: to do it system by system, don't you? So yeah, ex- exactly. a Really good example. Necrom the, the detail they go into the Necromunda source books now about things like that is amazing. Anyway, we're getting already off track. Yeah, yeah. Let's we're let's go back into
1: let's 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 circle right back into Tris- we just talked about stage uh, Tresejian let's uh, loop right back in and talk about a little bit more, you know, nuts and boltsy, if you will.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So this was one of the um, last exemplary battles we got before V2 drops. So I did do a quick check for V2 rules. Neither of the units that appear in this exemplary battle actually really got updated. So it means we can work our way through this document. And the Battle of Trisolian or Trisolian exemplary battle doesn't focus on the wider battle, but there's some interesting little narrative differences which we'll talk about in a few moments time. What it focuses on is the wolves assault on the vengeful spirit, not the main assault by Russ. Spain has covered that. We've just had that discussion in depth. This is the secondary actions. These are the secondary points of egress that the wolves make into the vengeful spirit to distract from Russ's main objective to draw away the defenders. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a few moments. But let's talk about a couple of key narrative changes. So we know from the novel of Wolfsbane that the, um, the Magus Dominus of Trisodian had actually turned to a war master, though so she was on the war master's side by this point. What was a really nice touch in this exemplary battle, I don't know if you picked up on this, JP, is... It suggests that the space wolves were actually liaising with this mechanicum force to fight against the sons of Horus. There's no suggestion at all that the Magus Dominus had
1: turned traitor and was siding with Horus. Yeah, it mentions that uh, she had received um, uh, orders from uh, Calber Hall to, yeah. to 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 link up her forces with uh, those of the War Master, but. Uh, yeah, uh, um, it, it it does seem to uh, it, it does imply that uh, uh, she did not intend to um uh, to, to 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 join his side. No,
2: which is a really interesting gloss over, considering we know that Azari is called cool, the Greek god, the man amongst men, that he escaped. And he could have revealed all that information, but clearly he keeps it to himself. Now, we need to question why. Probably because he steals all of her USB drives. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he's not going to reveal any of that because then he has to question, well, how do you know about this? What's going on? And would he be treated differently if he revealed, oh, yeah, no, I I was fighting alongside the trade forces for a few brief moments.
1: Yeah, that's the other thing. He's he's just not notable. Uh, um, uh, uh, Or he... (sighs) He's not supposed to be notable, but um he's not high ranking.
2: No, no. At this point he's he's yeah, easily at this ignored, point. isn't he?
1: Yeah, at this point
2: he's easily ignored. So, how does this exemplary battle carry on? Well we get a return of a named character, don't we? From the Space wolves Grigor Philhand, Special character. Model that was supposedly meant to be for Bjorn, but had to get changed for various reasons from what is the rumors tell us. And we know from Wolfsbane that small strike teams such as broad tree fingers are hitting points such as ammunition dumps, um, shield generators, command consoles. Grigor fell handed is given a particular target, which is to strike at the history of the Sons of Horus. Yeah, because the idea is to want draw them out, out, right? yeah absolutely they want to draw those resources or, and those troops away from the command decks don't they They yep. want to draw sons of horus defenders away from horus so that rust can make that bid to take his head because
1: yeah, at the end of the day the sons of horus are, uh remain a very proud legion and yeah, what's interesting I mean, is they, I, they still maintain a lot of um you know a lot of uh, their iconic uh, iconography uh you know, banners from, from the Crusade era and things like that.
2: Yeah, and they've added on to that over the Heresy, haven't they? So he mentions later on that they've got banners from Loyalist Legions, yeah, skulls. skulls of yeah. skulls of legionaries and bits as well, and they've got items left over from Great Crusade, they've got items left from Chthonia, and the Wolves know that if they can strike at those areas, it will pull out the Sons of Horus defenders, they're going to want to defend the history of their legion. Any legion would. and But we particularly know that one of the great weaknesses of the Suns of Horus is their element of pride. So out of any legion, this is one which is likely to pull them in. So what is he using to do this? Well, it mentions that he has, that Gregor Failhound has scores of Space Wolves at his Disposal for this, including members of a new unit type, which is the Yorland Hunter Pack. We're going to look at the rules for those later on. But even with the numbers he's got, this is not an easy job, is it?
1: Oh no, because well, this looks worse. Uh, immediately counter once he starts to you know burning banners and smashing trophies and things like that. Um, and and they they come in with their own special unit, which is uh, which are um, uh, chieftain squads. So um, yeah. essentially they're they're specialized breachers. What I quite like
2: is a description about where the space walls are heading for. So there's three whole decks along the central spine of the Vengeful Spirit given over to these trophies. So that's where they're heading for. So it's a relatively deep inside the ship as well, isn't it? Which makes sense because this is an important area. And the numbers here, I, I like the fact they give statistics. Well, I mean, we're both historians. We always love when we get numbers involved in these things, don't we? So by the time Grigor reaches those central vaults, He's lost nearly two thirds of his remaining of his attacking strength, and he's only got a few dozen people remaining. So that really ties in with what we saw about Broad Triffinger's strike force, wasn't it? About the casualties that they are taking from this.
1: Oh, they're broken as a legion after this. Oh, absolutely. the space bulls are never the same. This combined with the and later on um, uh, Yarent. I mean, uh, they're 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 off the board. Which actually brings yeah. to mind whether or not this was actually you can consider this anything but a, a massive victory for the war master
2: yeah I mean I as we discussed in wolf Spain I I'm still convinced this was Russ purposely trying to remove not purposely I think is the wrong word but he was not expecting to come back from this which is why no. we know he left it open to his yards to make their choice to follow him or not um but that we, we've had that discussion we've had yeah, that we've, let's not go back onto it but it's it's interesting no. And I like the fact we've got a named some Horus character as well, and her Hakras, the captain of the 68th Company, custodian of the Vault's and Legion's Mars, Master of Legacy. So it's nice when we get these like little named characters in there yeah. as well. So the wolves do what the wolves do, don't they? They start burning everything down, smashing banners. You know, that they are being barbarians in revolts of rome effectively ah, are
1: there, so. I like that yeah yeah
2: they you know well, they well, are, they are bringing down civilization around them not the some sort particularly civilized by this stage anyway
1: but and before, this is I mean, when as you they were gang fighters like, yeah they weren't exactly the most civilized of legions anyways
2: no but they had that veneer of civilization over
1: yes them.
2: they had that veneer they 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 were good at pretending they didn't hide they hid their barbarianism until they were in battle. I think is the best way to describe it. After a, a bit of while having fun, the chieftains arrive, don't they? And we get this description of the chieftains are one for Santa Horus Horus's uh, special units. Each is a veteran of their legion with a battle record that can earn them a place amongst their officer cadre. They've foregone such personal glory. Instead, they dedicate themselves to safeguard over heroes and honor of their legion. That kind of brings in that noble barbarian aspect, doesn't it? That we've had quite a few times with both of these legions, isn't it? It's that idea that even amongst this kind of barbaric tendency, there are points of honor amongst them.
1: No, it's an interesting. Um, I find that these stories, the way that uh, they do tend to do a good job of just really being backstory for a unit. Yeah. They, 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 sometimes yeah. they remind me of like like a Transformers or G.I. Joe episode where they have to like introduce the new toys. Do yes. You know what I mean? In,
2: yeah, it's it's that classic 80s cartoon Saturday morning TV, isn't it? But it's Whereas it's, it's, like, it's done well. Been,
1: it's it's still done in that for in in that in that horse heresy tone, that serious historical tone.
2: Yes. But it is very much a case of his new toys, but his the justification for having them. Yeah, exactly. And also the justification of why you haven't heard from them much before. So, like, the chieftain squads are basically a bodyguard unit. They are a retinue unit. It suggests they tend to stay more Santoros vessels, the Jotun um, units, the Jotun hunter units. They're designed for effectively wiping out civilizations. They're, they remind me in some ways of the Ashen Circle that similar kind of role to Circle. But we'll talk about that when we look at the union, uh, the unit profile. So, although there's only a, about a, a few dozen sun, uh, Space Wolves remaining, actually the fighting's quite close, isn't it? Because the Sun of Horus can't bring all their numbers or firepower to bear because they don't want to damage any more of their relics. So this is inevitably going to lead to a very close order melee battle, isn't it? Yep. And I really like some of the descriptions here of that trying to break through a shield wall that the Sons of Horus have set up, and how they've been how the space walls are thrown back. Uh, the chieftains. I really like the point. It, it reminds me of the film 300, where the chieftains open their shield wall, make strikes with chain axes, and then the shield wall closes again. <laughs> it, it, there's some really really nice descriptive moments in this, and. It looks like the space walls are breaking through at one point. I mean they do break through, and the of are being forced to kind of redress the ranks and reform the line. And it just looks like they're about to be brought down when the call goes out that Russ has been injured. Now, I don't know about you, but this this reminded me about the Imperial uh, bit similar to the Imperial Fists at Foul, where as soon as they're given that order to withdraw. They just or they they give up any advantage they had in order to carry out that order. Yeah, I think the key difference here is the fact that Russ is injured, that Russ is seriously injured, and any Legion. I mean, we saw in the original trilogy have a Sons of Horus react when Horus is injured. We've seen in other novels that when a Primarch is seriously injured or goes down in combat, but Legion does anything they can to recover their Primarch. And we see this here game here, don't we? Where the space wolves desperately try to withdraw, but they're taking heavy casualties all along the way. But you know, effectively, Grigor Philhanded did carry out his job. Yeah, you know, it, it's a bit like Broad Triffinger. His his separate mission to draw out defenders to damage key structures within the Vengeful Spirit was actually successful. Was I'm, it?
1: I'm, I'm, you're absolutely right. Um. Uh, again, the the whole point of of the the operation was to get, uh, to get as far into the uh, eventual spirit as possible, and sort of get Horace to uh to set a trap for for Russ, and then spring the trap. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, it does mention by the time Grigor's pack makes it back to the landing zone, they've barely got about twenty people remaining with them. So that that shows them the uh, the casualties that they're taking. So, I mean, arguably, and we, we kind of touched on this a little bit with our Wolfsbane discussion, but arguably it was only Russ that failed in his objective. That's
3: the good rest of good point.
2: The rest of his legion did what they were meant to do. They drew off defenders. They sabotaged bits of revengeful spirit, which we know has an effect, as we discussed, because Vengeful spirit doesn't just keep chasing after re- remains, of, re- remains of a wolf fleet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, overall, I thought this was a nice little piece of narrative. Did it add to what we already knew a little bit? I still think the Iron Warriors exemplary battle is the best narrative we've seen so far
3: yeah, out of agree, the yeah.
2: exemplary battles. I, I I still think that's the best piece of narrative. But it's nice that we see the return of a previous named character, and it's nice that it shines a spotlight on another aspect of the Battle of Tressalien. So, I mean, we already knew in depth, but it gives us a, just another perspective for that battle.
1: Oh, Absolutely. And again, that's why we kind of like put it after Tales of Heresy. So usually we would do it first, but uh I I think it was more effective to talk about the battle within Wolf Spain, because I think you're right that it doesn't add that mu- that many more details, but it does add um some useful color to it.
2: Yes. Yeah. So should we have a look at a couple of units? Should let's we have a look it. at two units involved? So let's start with the, the space walls first, because they're probably the the
1: least interesting out of the two. And I'm yes,
2: well, I'm naturally biased. Least-
1: they're the least interesting, just uh they're they're not as uh, uh as as unique as perhaps the Sons of Horse one is.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. So they have a standard marine stat line, don't they? So you know Yeah, this is nothing... the uh
1: Your Hunter Pack.
2: Yes, this yeah, the Yorloon Hunter pack. So you start off with 401 Hunt Master, standard marine um stat line. Sergeant gets the, the bonus to leadership and an attack. So, you know, nothing spectacular. Um, they are troops, but they're not line. And that's a significant difference. So, you know, you, you can bring these in your army. You can bring quite a lot of these in your army, but you're not going to be scoring with them. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, their war gear is really unusual, isn't it? They stand, have a standard power armor, frag, and crack, as you'd expect. They get swords, so, you know, pretty good close combat weapon, especially now with Shred, and they all come with hand flamers.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of the few units that that has uh, hand flamers uh, besides Iconoclasts.
2: Um, Reavers get them as well.
1: Reavers, Reavers get them as well? Have, yeah,
2: Reavers can have access to hand flamers as well. And, can, and can have, squads. though, but like as, as
1: standard equipment.
2: Yeah, no, as standard equipment, I believe it's only for Yorland and Ashen Circle please iconic class.
1: I think you're right. It's Ashton yes. No, it's Icon oh, I don't know anymore. I don't remember the last time I I I, I, I played Word Bears. Is it iconic class or Ashen Circle? It's Ashen Circle. Ashen Circle. Okay.
2: Yeah. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's Ashen Circle. If you are Word Bear players and we got that horribly wrong, <laughs> yeah. let no Just get mad. Stay mad. Yeah. They they do have some interesting rules. So they've got the Crusader rule, which you know gives them a bit of a bonus when they're trying to sweep. Um, as well. they've got. Scout is a significant one here, isn't it? Because it just gives them that push forward. Um, Dedicated transports. They're one for a few that can take a Legion termite. You do get the feeling that this Yorlin Hunter pack is like a very specialist destroyer squad, don't you, for the Space Wolves. They they do seem to be vibing off that. They don't get the nastier prescribed weapons, like rad weapons or the um, Toxiferon Flamers or anything like that but they do seem to be carrying out that similar role, don't they? Um, they are a support squad, so, you know, you, you that comes with those limitations. You can't take those as compulsory troops. But they also have a rule, Scouring Tempest. Now, this is unique to the order and Hunter Pack. So we mentioned they have hand flamers. So once per battle, when it's your shooting phase as the active player, you can declare you're using this, and all flame weapons gain the pinning rule I have a torrent three inches.
1: <laughs> rule. That's great. That's that so is, brutal.
2: That's, that is pretty good. Especially the element of pinning in there. Oh, yeah. No, because this pinning is... is so significant in the new rules.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at this as if I was playing militia, this would be terrifying. Uh, this would be like a, uh, a, a a priority target. Yeah. You yeah. could wipe I'll, an entire or... militia squad off the table in in, in, in one shooting phase yeah
2: or zone mortalis
1: yeah i think the Ordin oh, wow, yeah.
2: hunting pack hunter pack in zone mortalis would be quite frightening
1: now appropriately enough
2: them, yeah absolutely i i wouldn't want to be using these on an open table if uh, on a main battlefield unless you had it coming out from a termite or out of a rhino something like that um or you can give them a land-rated proteus as well that could be a bit terrifying popping out and then unleashing but they're one of these odd units that can go up to an unusual numbers because they start with five and you can buy up to ten additional ones as well. And for every five models in the squad, one of them can exchange their hand flamer for a standard flamer or a Volkite Serpenta. I think if it was me, I'll probably do the flamer. <laughs> just to kind of yeah keep emphasising that one. And also to make the most of the Scour and Tempest as well. It's another one that kind of capitalized. You can give them a Vexilla, No Nuncio Vox, which is interesting. So clearly they're designed to operate by themselves. Uh, the Huntmaster, their Sergeant equivalent, can take the standard Melt-Bombs and Artificial Armor. He can also take a Plasma Pistol, or he can take a Frost Blade as well, because why wouldn't a Space Wolf take one of their unique weapons? Um, overall, what's your opinion of them?
1: Well, it's characterful. It's different. You know, this is something that you expect maybe from uh, from the Salamanders, except maybe they're they're quite fast as well. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I really like the idea of these guys. Just like the idea of a whole squad of guys of flamers.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think if it was me, I would focus much more on a Zone Mortalis force with these. I'd, I'd
1: lean much more into a
2: Zone Mortalis army rather than a standard army. But they're an interesting one. But let's move on to the big one, which is the Chieftain Squad, the Sons of Horus Chieftain Squad. Well, yes. Right, these are an interesting one because these are HQ slots. But they do have a few ways to get around that as well. Stat line is a typical veteran stat line. Most importantly, they get the second wound and they get that weapon skill five. And as we talked about in the previous episode, that one point difference in their weapon skill makes such a big difference when they get into assault
1: absolutely um um and, and they're the same amount of points as as the uh as the Urlin hunter pack yes
2: well we'll do the comparison between the two yeah i think
1: okay sounds um, good
2: they come with four chieftains and a standard bearer and what is significant is that standard bearer comes with a legion standard so you, because they're a hq that legion standard actually makes them a line troop or a line unit. So they can score. So that's significant. And that does also mean that potentially you could take this in one HQ slot and with your Praetor or your Delegatus or your Primarch, you could take another command squad. So potentially you could have two legion standards in the same force. Wow. That's,
1: that's, that's brutal
2: yeah and don't forget legion standard also gives a six inch fearless bubble as well
1: and that's just a, so, that's just a free upgrade so yeah, that,
2: that, yeah that, this that's is. standard that standard equipment um apart from a legion standard they, they all come with bane strike bolters nice that's a bonus i i view those as a bonus for this unit because you're not going to rely on their shooting. they're better with a weapon skill of five and some of the additional rules they've got in a moment you want these in assault you do want these in assault. So, really, the base right bolter is an added bonus, really. They all come with a bolt pistol. They all come with chainsaw. They all come with frag and crack and power, standard power armor. They also come with boarding shields as well. So they do, as well as having that 3-plus save, all have that 5-plus invulnerable save as well. So that's significant. And they all come with the heavy traits. So you're re-rolling those wounds against blast or template weapons. You are a little bit slower, you know. You have to take their mind, but you do get those rerolls. They also come with quite a number of special rules, don't they? So they're, obviously they're automatically sons of Horus. They all have chieftain retinue, which is basically allows them to be taken as a retinue squad for a character with the master of legion special rule. That's the standard retinue rules. So that character has to be a member of the chieftain squad. They're not allowed to leave that squad during the game but they don't then occupy a separate slot. They come out of a character's slot on the organization chart. They all come with chosen warriors, so any of them can accept a challenge. And linked to that, they have the King Slayer's Rule. Now, let's have a look at that King Kingslayer's Rule for a moment because this is one of the other areas where they are best in assault. So if they're fighting any enemy unit that has an independent character or a Primarch in there, they can re-roll any failed to hit rolls of one. Yeah. So they've all got two attacks each. They're not going to get additional bonus attacks for additional weapons because they've got board and shield. But, you know, three attacks each on the charge, two attacks standard, That that's a lot of ones you may have to be re-rolling. Um, and if they're involved in a challenge, and bear in mind, any of these can accept or deliver a challenge because they're chosen warriors, they get to re-roll any failed to hit roles if they're in a challenge with a model with the independent character or a Primarch unit type so it's a little bonus it's not amazing you know it's not groundbreaking but
1: i mean it's pretty it is, good it is pretty good because, because... Uh, it's because any independent character so that's gonna be your praetors that's gonna be your consoles um yeah i mean it's not one of those things that's if it was only Primarchs I would say it was okay. Yeah, it's it's minor, it's a minor buff there against but against any independent character and there's a good chance that these are going to be facing an independent character because this is probably going to be a, a bodyguard squad. So yeah, that absolutely. that's that's brutal and it's get the whole unit not just uh, the character itself for yeah. those ones. And the fact that the weapon skill 5 means
2: they're also hitting yeah. most characters on fours anyway. Yeah, Cuz you know apart from praetor so if they're going against centurion then they're going to be hitting centurions and fours. If they're going to be five, so fives yep. with a real roll of one. That's not bad. And they're all relentless, which means they can shoot their Bane Bolters and charge them the same turn. But it's some of their options which can really round these guys out. So first of all, you can take an additional five chieftains, So they can go up to a squad of ten. That can be a bit pricey, but that's going to be a real solid block around your your Warlord, really. And then they get to exchange their chain sword for various different weapons. So first of all, they can exchange it for chain axes. That's a relatively cheap option. Yeah,
1: give me so, sure. It's not so bad. I
2: well, it's strength and it's not just strength um, shred because don't forget they have that on the chain sword. It oh, also right. the, it also puts them up to strength five, and I think it's AP four as well on a chain so a chain axe. So you know that gives them a slight edge against other Astartes because they're wounding on threes or you can give them a power weapon. Now, this is where I think, personally, I would be upgrading them to have. I would be having a smattering of power weapons. Um, and I've, I've kind of been thinking about this. I'm, I'm building a chief and squad myself. The obvious thing is power swords. However, I'm also tempted... I, well, the way I'm building mine is to put a couple of power spears in. Now, the reason why I'm thinking about power spears is it's still strength as user AP3, you lose the rending from a power sword, so you're only limited to AP3, so you need to bear that in mind. However, with power spears, you get the reach one ability, which puts these guys to initiative five. So they're striking before most other Astartes. Plus, let's face it, what looks cooler than a marine with a boarding shield and a spear.
1: Yeah, that's um, that that's you know? uh, looks pretty Greek. I like it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh it's just cl- also just any classic Wait. early medieval bodyguard squad isn't it? It's that shield wall. Um and you can so throw how it are you uh, if you're converting these guys how are you making them look? I've I've got some of the old Sons of horse torsos, I've got some of the head upgrades. Um the shields is the interesting one. I I'm, I'm currently split on when I'm building mine by using either the traditional you know rectangular boarding shields. Or, I'm tempted to use some of the Chaos Warrior shields. So they look a little bit more, uh, they're more like a kite shield. So it just makes them look just that little bit more bespoke than yeah, a standard like br- uh, breacher squad. And and then, obviously, various different power weapons. I think power weapons are a way to go on these units. I mean, if you've got weapon skill five, two runes and two attacks, you want to be capitalizing on that. But obviously, that price does add up quite quickly. Plus, you can throw a Power Fist in there. You maybe want a Power Fist on your Legion standard to make him strike and last, because he's one you'll most likely want to keep alive for longest as well. Um, and it puts some AP2 in there. Um, or you can give the whole squad, and you can give the whole squad artificial armor. Oh, that's huge. So, so potentially, you could give them all a 2+, plus, say, 5+, plus vulnerable.
1: I mean, they're practically Terminators at that point.
2: They really are. Um, plus, they get the bonus against blast and template weapons of re rolling their armor saves. So, if they went up against, so let's kind of go back. If they were hit by that Yorland squad who hits them with all the hand flamers, the Chieftain squad is re rolling all of those armor saves underneath the hand flamer template
1: because of because of the heavy roll. Yeah, that's nasty.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, this is a couple of things to consider. These are HQ squads. What that means is, in low-point games, you could take these as your compulsory HQ. They don't have the support squad rule. There's nothing saying they can't be compulsory HQ. So you could take these as your HQ unit in a small-points game. Now, I know some people are out there thinking, oh, well, hang on, what about your warlord? The, the main rulebook now states that if you don't have a character HQ, your warlord becomes a character in another squad.
1: Oh, okay. So it would be... Uh, the standard squads,
2: yeah. well, no, none anyway. of them, are, none of the chieftains are characters, they're all just chosen warriors. So, your warlord would become something like a sergeant in one of your other squads. They don't gain a warlord trait, however, you so you do need to be aware of that. You're losing out on that. But if you're doing something like a, a small 500 point zone, mortalis force, I would be tempted to take something like a chieftain squad anyway, because these are going to punch above the weight of a standard centu- a single centurion yep. So it's just something to consider in small-point games. I think if I was going to take them in larger games, then I would just take them as a retinue with a character because I think that's a much better role that they have within and and more fitting to their background as well. But I think in small-point games, 500-point games, particularly with Zone Mortalis, which once again, because they're a breacher unit, effectively, that's really where they're going to shine, I'd be tempted to take these instead of a, a single HQ.
1: Yeah, I think you're entirely right. Um, great little unit. Um, I'm shocked that they're the same amount of points base as uh, for the base squad. The the, the five man squad is the same um, same number of points as the, as the Yorlund uh, Hunter Pack. Because yeah, one is clearly better get... than the other. Absolutely, considering they get
2: plus one weapon skill and an extra wound, an extra attack, and an extra leadership. Plus, Bane Strike Bolters. And the boarding Plus shield. for Legion Standard. Plus for Chainsaw. Or they both have yeah. chainsaws. Plus for boarding ship. And even, even with their rules, they're, they're they're better. I wonder if it's because they're HQs, so you can't take as many chieftain squads as you could take the Yorland hunter squad.
1: That's a good point. The individual um marine is 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 more expensive for the chieftains, 20 points instead of 15. Not a giant yeah. difference, they'll say. Um, but uh I, I think probably the only reason that it's not more expensive is because exactly it was HQ. If this was a, a line, if it was just line infantry <laughs> sticking to yeah. the entire army of chieftains or even elites, yeah, I, this would be a great choice. These are these are like, um, it's a mix of breachers and, and veterans with really cool well, special rules.
2: It, it's a mix of breacher, veterans, and command squad, it, yeah. is really where we're, yeah. we're, we're seeing this. You know, you combine them three different roles together. Yeah. Are they I, better if better I had a size of horse
1: army, I would definitely like convert these guys. Like, I don't know who yeah. wouldn't. They're great.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I like the idea of converting the inner thieves just to have them around anyway. Are they better than the command squad? Well, they're less customizable than a command squad, but a lot of the options are very similar. They get the invul- invulnerable save that command squads don't because of a boarding shield. They are less manoeuvrable because of a heavy trait, um, but they do get those other special bonus rules like Kingslayers. So, you know, in, in Malay, they're going to have a slightly better edge, but you don't get the shooting options that you do with a command squad. So I, I think, as we've seen with all these exemplary units, they're not a must-have, but they're a really careful alternative to what you may want. And they fit the unit. They, they they fit the army as well.
1: Absolutely. And the scenario. So,
2: yeah, I, Absolutely. Should we move on to the scenario?
1: Yeah, that, was, uh, uh, that wasn't on purpose, but I think it's a pretty good segue.
2: Yeah, because I, I do like these little um scenarios that we have. And once again, this is a Mortalis
1: one. Yep. Only one mission, uh, though. The... Only one mission.
2: Yes, but I, I suppose it focuses on that one key role that the uh, the Orland hunter squad are doing aren't they and it's nice because it's asymmetrical as well and I'm a big fan of asymmetrical missions Um, if you are the attacker you've certainly got a hard job here haven't you let's face it so the recommended army size for the attacker is between 1000 and 1500 but the defender's army is half as large again. so if the attackers is 1000 points the defender's is 1500 if your tax is 1500, the defenders is 2250. So yeah. you could find yourself coming against Horus.
1: <laughs> maybe, but not maybe if you play, it play this, to the narrative.
2: Not if you play it to a narrative, no, which is what you should be doing. What I do like is you could actually use this mission for lots of different purposes. It doesn't just have to be about the Trisolian. This would be perfect for wordbearers, taking vengeance on Kalth, for example, mm-hmm. If you are in, a, in an arcology. It could be fantastic for Raven Guard trying to destroy um, or Alpha Legion trying to destroy key pieces of technology. It, it's a nice little mission. So anyway, standard Zone Mortalis 4x4 board. Um, the central There has to be a central corridor to at least two foot wide, which should be mostly left of clear walls or doors. So that's your kill zone. That's an area you do not want to be. So most of the yeah. fighting will probably be in the the foot either side, if you're honest. Um, However, at some point, you have to go in the centre into the kill corridor because that's where the six objectives are. Now, these objectives are quite key, aren't they? So let's kind of focus on these because these are called relic objectives. And you gain or the attacker is going to gain one victory point for each objective, which has been removed from the battlefield. So how do they remove them? And once again, there's some really nice rules mechanisms here. So during your turn as an active player, at the end of the movement phase, the active player as the attacker player as the active can select any number of units as long as they're infantry, cavalry, dreadnought, automata, daemon, or demon, or primark with at least one model within one inch of an objective marker. They then get pinned, so no shooting or only snapshots if they're shooting and they cannot react to anything and they will be pinned until the start of your next turn. But as long as that unit has not been destroyed or is falling back and still has at least one model within one inch of an objective, that objective marker is then removed from play. Now, it also does say you can only destroy one objective marker per unit so you can't have like a big tactical squad of 20 strung out between two objectives and doing two at the same time so they they clearly thought about that a little bit more i like this mechanic where you're having to sacrifice some of your or limit some of your own actions to carry out this kind of job i mean let's face it it's making the job of the attacker even harder i mean they're already outnumbered Mm -hmm. but And they're having to give up chances to shoot or assault or any kind of those actions during their own turn as well
1: yeah you have to keep your your eyes on the objective and and you you're going to lose units but you can lose all your units and still win this scenario
2: absolutely it's one of those pyrrhic victory ones isn't it which is exactly what the wolves were doing at trisovia so how do you deploy in this one? So the attackers deploy within 18 inches of their battlefield edge, but they have to be entirely within the central corridor. So they're all in that kill zone at the start of the game. Um, that does include any models with the infiltrate. So they don't get bonuses for having models with the infiltrate. However, scout units do still get their redeploy. We saw that with Yule and Hunter unit, they they've got the scout move. So they would have that advantage to have that move off at the start of the game. Uh, the defenders come on from any of the three remaining edges, and then the entire defender's army is placed in reserve. Now there's a special reserve rule for this called the interdiction reinforcements. So what that means is you start rolling from turn one And from turn three onwards, any reserve roles automatically succeed. And they can come on from any of the defenders' battlefield edges. So they can come on from any edge. So although the defenders have more troops available to them or more units available to them, they're not coming in en masse. You'll probably find they're going to be coming in piecemeal until turn three. And then everything will be piling in. So that puts out real time pressure onto the attackers. If the, if you were the attacker, you probably want to move up as far as you can in the first couple of turns towards the first objectives and then try to fall back towards your own table edge. That's probably the way I would be looking at it. Um, it's a standard four-turn game. The attacker does get to go first unless the defender concedes the initiative. We've already mentioned that the attacker gets one victory point for each objective they remove. The defenders just get one victory point for each enemy unit they've destroyed. That does include units which are falling back or that are removed from the um, table as a casualty. And then there's a standard slave Warlord secondary as well. So it's a relatively simple mission, isn't it? I think, personally, it's very much stuck against the defender. Um, I think as a defender, the odds are very much against you, but I think it would make for a really, really interesting game.
1: I think it's really characterful, but... Probably the coolest thing about this is that this could represent, like you mentioned, it could represent anything. Um, it, it, as much as it's tied into the, um, the narrative of, of Spain and, and, uh, Tresolian, um, really this could be, you could easily, uh, uh, change this to, as, as you mentioned, uh, uh, word bearers, uh, destroying Ultramarines uh, um, uh, relics or, uh, attacks on vital, uh, uh, components of a ship, um, you know things like, like you get this can be anything
2: we've seen a lot of these exemplary battles which are very much focusing on their particular area i like ones like this where you with a bit of adapting you can bring those into your own narrative you can use them for your own campaigns so yeah i like it overall i thought this was one of the stronger um exemplary battles to be honest I mean, obviously, I'm going to be biased. But I th- I liked how it built on existing narratives that we already knew. Um, I think it's a couple of interesting units. I think the chieftains are definitely the stronger out of two. Um, but once again, another interesting mission we got. I'd certainly like to try it. I certainly would like to try that mission.
1: No, this is, I think you're right. I think this is one of the better ones that the, that they've done, and and they've all been pretty cool. Uh, I really like these exemplary missions. The only thing that I would um, that I I would have liked ha- would have been these should have been in White Dwarf, I think. You know, these should have. There should have been a. Um, I don't know how you feel about you know uh, having having PDFs around. I I always like printing stuff out. Uh, th- it would have been great if there was like a physical version of these exemplary battles. Maybe one day they'll they'll release them as as a, a compilation, the way they used to do with uh you know with White Dwarf uh, White Dwarf armies. Yeah, potentially. I mean,
2: we we know we've only got one more left to go as well. We we know we only have one more exemplary battle left now. They they have announced that on Warcom. I'm I'm wondering if these are going to be like a similar model to what we may see in future campaign books from Specialist Games. I'm wondering oh, almost, if they've certainly. done these as like a, as a test bed of this is how we may do the campaign books with some very clear narratives, and legendary missions in there, and then units which are either going to be com- can be converted or made or will be released units we'll have to wait and see I, I hopefully we're going to see more news about that later this year no
1: absolutely all right so um we concluded a Spain by talking about some more uh some more Wolf Spain, i suppose but I, I think this concludes it well great little supplement they're all really cool um and i think we could just move on to uh two week challenge all right welcome to two e challenge so Darren, what have you gotten done uh, since we last recorded? I, I managed to finish off a lot of
2: projects, I'm leading up to the holiday was stupidly busy and there were lots of things waiting, so I managed to finish bits off. So first of all, I finished with the first Plastic Contemptor, um, magnetized a couple of choice of weapons on that. I think I'm leaning more towards the Gravis Melt Cannon, um, but we'll see where we go. So plastic contempt are done i finished off my esotericist i just need some demons to ruin storm rules now please gw that would be lovely so i can start using some neverborn yeah yeah but I, get the militia
1: done first then move on to the demons
2: yeah well drop them on the same day would be even better that'd be ideal to um, yeah, do that but yes yeah let, let's let's
1: fingers crossed this year
2: um i also got the second half of the plasma support squad done Um, I actually worked out my points for these earlier. I cannot believe a 10-man Plasma Support Squad is cheaper than a 10-man Volkite Colving Squad. I I just don't get it. But there we go. That's something that never matter. I also made up some Seekers, or finished off some Seekers with Bane Strike Bolters. I finished off the second half with a Missile Launcher Squad as well. So that was the Santa Horus Contingent finished over Christmas. I then also finished my direwolf. I've I've got a game of AT lined up next month. I'm I'm really looking forward to trying out the Dire Wolf. Um, I added some bits for the Orlocks as well as some finishing off my Direwolf for AT. I've built a couple of new Warhounds with some of the new resin weapons. So they've got a mixture of Volkite and Graviton on those, plus a Vulcan. because um, you can't have a warhound somewhere without an extra Vulcan. I'm really looking forward to trying to grab weapon. That's really going to add some punch to a light pool. And then I started kind of probably my main project. My main project of 23, which is my Black Legion force. I've been talking about for a while. So I started oh, some no, legionaries. You got that going. Yeah, yeah. Finally got it underway. So I started some legionaries. I've started some possessed and a master of possession for that army as well. And, and you know, i am fitting a narrative in that this is my Sons of Horus company 10,000 years down the line. So I'm even trying to keep some of the aesthetics some, the same on some of the color schemes and the, and the unit loadouts and stuff as well. Oh, that's awesome. So, busy. Very busy. Got lots done. What about yourself?
1: Well, uh, probably a little bit less than that, but I have done um, uh, 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 some work recently. Uh, still been working on, um, on Don't Look Back, although I have to switch back to 30K very soon because Adepticon's coming up. And as is usually the case with me, I get most of my heresy hobby done in the months leading up to the big event. But um, I've been working on. I've been uh, finished some uh, some trees for my uh, for my terrain uh, set. Finished a lighthouse keeper uh, that will uh, you know show up and tell uh, the the uh, the the, the victims. Yeah, the victims. uh, You know, tell them the the story of 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 Jason, and then immediately get killed. I finished uh, um, uh, two more final one more final girl is last time yeah finished another final girl um uh, from my final girl uh, final girl set uh, I finished uh, uh which is another uh, which is one of the the player characters but she has a katana which is pretty rad. Uh, I finished that. I assembled uh, uh my gourd Reaper, which is one of the uh, the killers I assembled uh, the stuff that I got uh, recently in um uh in the new cursed crate from uh from don't look back uh, from from Blackside Studios just kind of like uh, a bunch of pre-release stuff. Uh, so got a cleanup crew. Which is because uh, they're, they're doing. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, they're a bunch of like operatives that, like you know, go that, that clean up after I guess uh, um, there's a problem. So they got like uh, dangerous, uh, you know, those suits there with the, there's a chemical spill and they have submachine guns. Are those
2: to... like the guys in Cabin in the Woods who clean up?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they got, uh, so got, uh, I assembled those guys and uh, a bunch of cultists uh, that um, also you can use. Uh, uh, in 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 your don't look back game, so I'm having fun with this little side hobby, which is um, just uh, restoring a lot of my. Lo- oh, and I built a couple fences. Oh, and I also I uh, also bought uh, over Christmas. I I, I went to a, a a a board game store to pick up a copy of Ticket to Ride to play with my uh, my mother in law. Um, she likes game, like Euro games. Um, and uh, they had like a bunch of die diecast cars, like old like muscle cars and shit. And one of them was like they could perfectly to scale. For don't look back it was like 143 scale or something like that so i bought that and repainted a die cast car it's like a 57 chevy or something like that so i did that uh but that's what I... sort was of
2: classic that they get in the car think they can escape and the engine doesn't. oh yeah turn over there's
1: no side. rules for escaping in the car
2: but they shouldn't be able to escape in the car
1: no you don't get away so I, got, I did, got that done, built some fences. Uh anyways, sorry. I put in a lot of stuff for, for uh recently. So it has been 30k stuff, but I will very shortly uh get back um uh in uh, get, get back on the wagon for uh 30k. I just needed a little break and it's been delightful. Anybody out there that kind of reaches a rut in their hobby, uh sick of painting, um, sort of the same color scheme again and again. I highly recommend getting in, into an indie game, especially like a like a small skirmish uh, indie game it really it really recharges your batteries it makes you love not that i i didn't i dislike the, the 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 hobby at any point but it's like i was kind of sick of painting marines and militia again and again and again just wonderful to have a little break i highly recommend getting into uh, an indie game um even if you don't expect to play it very often since it's not a huge investment it's just fun to like paint it and you know assemble it paint it and 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 uh, just enjoy it so yeah i great. agree great. i agree with
2: that I agree with that. I, I use Tech as that for my kind of break when, I, when I'm getting fed up with GW stuff. It's like, right, let's just do a couple of mechs, recharge the batteries and then start yeah. skiing.
1: It's not about be being it's just, you know, sometimes you need a little uh, change of pace. The last few months I've been uh, enjoying a, a nice little change of pace, which is, um, you know, just recharging my hobby batteries a little bit because I wasn't painting much before that, as you fully know. And now I'm painting all the time again. And and I'm mm. also excited to to, uh, to start working on my uh, 30k stuff again, which I hadn't felt for a little bit. So get into an indie game out there, everybody out there. Get into an indie game. It's 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 worth it. There's some good stuff out there. Okay, so that's for two challenge. Um, to end the show tonight, uh, we found another. Well, Ben found another, <laughs> uh, Warhammer themed uh, metal band. These guys are uh, from uh, South London. It's a stoner thrash band called Warp Stormer. I mean. How great is that? That's just perfect. So, um, uh, they have a new album that will be coming out, uh, I believe, in March. Uh, and or I think their first album is going to come out in March. Uh, so, uh, go to Bandcamp, check out a Warp Stormer. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, and I, I think this is appropriate. I'm going to be playing the the, the song, uh, Stormcaller. Um, yes, that works. That's that works, right? That works. So yeah, check out Warp Stormer. Um, what are we doing in in, in the next episode? Uh, we're going to do our traditional palate cleanser in terms of her-
2: Heresy, aren't we? we? We're going to move away from a main book series. Um, I think we're going Great Crusade, aren't we? I think we're going to look yeah. at the Ferris
1: Manus Primark story. Yeah, I look for it. I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to have to sit down and read it.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a- I-, I like it. It's a compliance action against humans. So those ones are always Ooh. interesting. Those ones are always interesting. Yeah. Um, Tells him strategy in. possibly death guard
1: yeah it's gonna be a tbd but uh hopefully yeah. we can get back into doing the legions because we haven't done one in, in a couple episodes but uh going back and discussing the legions how they've changed and and what's great is that uh since uh this segment has uh well because of our release schedule has been kind of uh <laughs> spotty in the last few months uh originally we were uh when we started doing the legions people didn't have a lot of experience with them but now it's been taking so long that people have played more games so we're getting even better content it, we planned <laughs> to
2: like it honestly. it's but yeah, it, exactly
1: it's it it certainly was wasn't, run, yeah. On, clearly yeah, yeah. Uh, that was <laughs> definitely a def- definitely on purpose and not a a, a a an accident uh but anyways it's certainly things didn't get crazy last few months um no no not at all everything's going according to plan But yeah, that should be a great episode. I look forward to it. So, this was episode 131. As usual, thanks for listening.